Keltec is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. Um, oh, like that. Let's see. Keep going down. That one right there with the hog. I, I make a I make a, a stabby called the self stabby of all the sin. And so that's just me cutting a hog out with the defense. If there's no metal, it's just a defense uh, knife. That's just you can. Yeah, so I carried it over. We carried them overseas because overseas you have a lot of hotels, restaurants, theme parks where you're where they have metal detectors, and so we could just carry those and still have some sort of blade that was completely undetectable by metal detectors. Okay. Yeah, that's cool as so. shit. I like that. And then if you so maybe like see where that looks like piss in a bucket. This one. Uh, yeah, go ahead and click on that. This is a Damascus blade. It's about 120 layers of steel compressed together. And then when you dip it in the ferric, the ferric affects the high carbon. There's two different types of steel, and one has a lot of nickel in it. So the ferric won't darken the high nickel steel, which is called 15 and 20. And so once you leave it in there, for just a few seconds. I mean, really, you, you normally leave it in for about 10 minutes, but yeah, I didn't, I don't think I did it 10 minutes on this one. Thank goodness. And then when you put, you can start to see now the colors coming out on the Damascus. Yeah. And the patterns. Yeah. So, so is that's that how the you two get different metals that you have there. So you can tell, so the blade's got to be a different metal than the, so, than the back, so, right? So, so actually, what that we'll, we'll is, talk about is, that on the show. Let's save it for the show. Okay. These are all good questions yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. be asking you. All right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I watched Force and Fire, but I was. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Knows? I mean, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. All right. All right. Lead heads, welcome back to another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. I am your host with the most lefty. And I have the most for you this episode, and we're going to get into that. But in case you haven't done it yet, make sure you go back to our previous episodes of the Talking Lead podcast, because we have 10 years of education for you listeners and your viewers now, because we are, we are videoing our podcast, and we make it available on YouTube, but I'm trying to get away from YouTube and get everything over to Rumble. So we are on Rumble. Make sure you go and follow us at Rumble. It it appears to be so far a a unbiased, uh, free, one a speech platform. So uh, I haven't had anything blocked or or flagged or choked down as far as I can tell. But I need more of you listeners to go. And subscribe, follow us on Rumble. Uh, and the more that I see that you guys are doing that, the more content I'm going to start moving over there. But I'm trying to get all the new stuff going forward moved over there. So please go give us a big old follow, big subscribe uh, over there on Rumble. And today, if you've been watching our Instagram post or social media post, uh, you know that we're going to be talking knives and knife making. And our special guest joining us today, Leadheads, is Jared Johnson with STA Blades. Jared, welcome in. 
Hey, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited. Yes, sir. We're glad to have you on. This is uh, something that I've been wanting to do for a while. I've been trying to get organized, and uh, I think I've got the the format and the platform that I uh, that I want to use now. And we're going to kick it off with you. I, I want to do a monthly, at least a monthly segment dealing with knives and blades and stabby things. So right, I like it. <laughs> so you're going to be my test. Uh, episode. We'll see how the leadheads enjoy this, the feedback that we get from it, but I know they're going to love it because they've been asking for something like this for a while. Uh, so, Jared, I'm pleased to, to have you and, and honored to have you on. Oh, thank you. I, I feel the same way. I'm excited. This is going to be great. Yeah, we're going to have a really good time. So, uh, tell our leadheads a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your, about your background. I know you're former, or there, there's no former Marine. You're a Marine. Um, just retired. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Ah, yeah. So I, uh, I grew up in Northern California and I wanted to get out of California cause I was, I was really into guns and, and everything growing up. And so I, I joined the Marine Corps and I got stationed in Southern California for about eight and a half years. So it, it didn't work out that great for me as far as getting out of California, but I got into some cooler guns and stuff at least. So, <laughs> uh, that was good for me, uh, kept me out of jail and everything too. Right. So, uh, I spent I spent a little over eight years in the Marine Corps, uh, did a couple deployments overseas and uh, had a had just a great time, which I think kind of shaped me for everything that I was going to go into later in life. So I knew I always wanted to be a police officer. My father's a police officer. My brother's a police officer. And it just didn't happen for me uh, at that time. So I went in I went into a little bit different role of sales into the firearms industry. Uh, I went and worked for a rep group that represented Leupold and Stevens. Yeah. So I ran their military law enforcement division for the Western States for about five years, uh, bounced around in the firearms industry, kind of like everybody else does. Uh, I worked for HK, uh, Patriot Ordnance Factory, and then I went into security contracting uh, overseas doing uh, some diplomatic security services, anti-piracy, and kind of executive protection type gigs, uh, all while kind of maintaining my training group, which was STA training group. And the, let's see, I think it was 2029, the end of 2019, I had just moved to Texas from Phoenix and COVID hit. Mm. I had set up a a great range, 16,000 acre ranch, the Richards Ranch in Jacksboro, Texas. I had long range. We had all these shooting bays. It was a great, great thing that was going and COVID hit and completely wiped out all the travel. Everybody had to go in, you know, stay, stay inside. And it just became impossible to do training. So for about that, that first year, I went with basically no work having just moved to Texas. So I just got this wild idea at the end of 2020, I went to a, uh, I went, I took a knife making class and a bladesmithing class with a gentleman named Chuck Stone at Masters Forge uh, here in Texas. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try this knife thing and see what happens. Yeah. And it has worked out pretty good. I've been, you know, two and a half years into it. So I'm definitely new to the knife making, but I've, I did it with the whole paint yourself in a corner approach of, I just, I had no choice. So I had to make it work. So you kind of a thing to, to tide you over 
give you something to do during the COVID. I put my finger quotes up, you know, right. the big, the big COVID right. area. Um, you know, it's amazing how all that's coming out to be everything that we thought it was in the beginning, a big, a big farce, a big, yeah. a big hoax, a big money maker for the big pharma and the government. Yeah. Um, Look so, over here while I do this over here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, do, do what you're told. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's exactly. cool that, you know, you found a kind of a hobby, something to, to tide you over something to do. Cause I think everybody was doing that. I think everybody, you know, is like, cause they're used to, you know, being busy and active and you can't do what you normally do. Then what do you do? You substitute it with something else, especially people who don't like to be idle, you know, like myself. Attention business owners. Are you ready to take your marketing game to the next level? Look no further than Black Tie Digital Marketing, the firearm-friendly, full-service agency that delivers results. We've worked with industry giants like Keltec, Spikes Tactical, and Armalite, and we even designed the kick-ass new logo at Talkin' Lead. At Black Tie, we blend creativity and data-driven strategies to ensure your message hits the mark every time. From high-end custom websites, graphic design, to inbound marketing campaigns, and everything in between, we've got you covered. Your success is our priority. Join the ranks of the industry's top players and give your business the boost it deserves. Experience the power of Black Tie today. Visit blacktiedigital.com or call 1-800-316-8030 to schedule your free consultation. That's Black Tie Digital Marketing, where firepower meets marketing power. Black Tie Digital Marketing is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. Uh, we're we're going to talk about you, and we're going to talk more about the knife making process. I know you've been doing it uh, for two years now. We've got a lot of listeners that have, you know, been wanting to get into it. I myself have have been very curious about knife making and wanted to kind of get into it myself as well. So. Um, sure. We're gonna we're gonna pick your brain, talk about your methods, your techniques, your styles, your influences. Uh, but before we do that, we gotta thank the uh, the people that make this show possible each and every week for you leadheads. Uh, Mission First Tactical, our good buddies over at Mission First Tactical, uh, they have a a string of new products out that you may or may not be familiar with yet. Uh, they've got a new line of bags out that are kind of the gray man bag and uh you go check those out on their website they've got two i think two different sizes right now that they've got but they're absolutely cool they're sleek uh, they don't scream of tactical so um go check them out at uh tactical.com you're going to use the code leadhead you're going to get 20 percent off those new bags you're going to get 20% off their holsters that they have. Uh, and then they've got the um, AR accessories and their magazines. So if you're building a new AR, which I'm getting ready to build two new ARs myself, personally, uh, there's been smoking deals on AR parts. And uh, I haven't seen prices any lower than this in in 10 years, man. I mean, you can go get an AR now, a complete AR for, for under $500. Sometimes... And I think I've seen one for $400. I think Primary Arms had one for like under $300 uh, during a sale that they had. But uh, I enjoy building my ARs uh, myself. So I don't really have, I've got several pistol style ARs, but I don't have like a really, really short one under 10 and a half inches. So I want to build one, you know, that's like seven, eight, eight inches, something like that. 
And I haven't decided if I'm going to go 300 blackout or if I'm just going to do a regular 556. What, what do you recommend? You know, I like, I stick with 556 five, just because I have so much of the ammunition, so many different types of, of AR 15s already. Yeah. And, you know, you look at some of these ammo manufacturers that are specifically making ammunition that has good terminal effects via short barreled rifles. Yeah. It, it kind of makes it, you know, if you want to do cycling subsonic short barreled stuff, then 300 blackouts definitely the way to go. But I love the 300 blackout round and I've got, several 300 blackouts in my my arsenal already and i've got several 556s as well i've got a 68 grendel but that's more of a long range um type uh gun. so maybe my second one i might do another 65 grendel um yeah now, now that's my flavor right there i have tons of grendels and oh yeah i have the, the 11 and a half you know the grendel was originally designed for like about a 12 and a half inch barrel anyways when Bill Alexander kind of came up with that concept and I have several 11 and a half inch and 18 inch. And they're just, that that's the one thing on the ranch that I'm at where one and done one, you, you don't oh, yeah. have to shoot them twice. It, it's extremely good terminal ballistics. Yeah. It's, it's a good run. I haven't hunted with it yet, but, uh, I've got, um, uh, LEO, the LEO takedown system. I don't know if you're familiar with those or not, but it's, it's a, no. just a quick barrel swap system. So I've oh, got nice. it. I've got it set up for the six five Grendel, the five five six, and the um, three hundred blackout. Nice. Uh, so I've got that's what that one. I don't know if you can see what I'm pointing at or not, but that's yeah. the one I've got set up right there. Uh, nice for that. Um, but speaking of ballistics, you know, Defiant Munitions. You guys want to discount on some awesome, high quality ammunition? Anything from the three eighty? All the way up to, uh, they're doing the um, uh, 4570, 4570 for the the lever actions. Uh, they've got 300 blackout, 556. Of course, you got to check them because sometimes they sell out of a lot of that stuff. But uh, you can go Defiant Munitions, use the code all caps LEADHEAD, get 10% off Defiant Munitions uh, for that ammo. And then, of course, our good buddies at Keltec. I'm going to be going down there hopefully in a couple of weeks. Uh, I've got a trip planned to go down there and get that big giveaway that I've been teasing you guys with in order and together. And hopefully we'll kick that off in the next uh, couple of months. We're going to go down there and get everything straightened out for that. I'm going to do a tour of their factory. Uh, so I'm going to bring you guys along with that. I'm going to have some video. We might do some live. And then we're going to record the, uh, the show from Cocoa Beach, baby. I'm looking forward to nice. that. Yeah, it's going to be a fun time. Uh, so make make sure you go check them out, Keltec. Uh, check out their website. They just sponsored that big um, concert in Alabama, Rockfest. I think it was called Rockfest. I don't. Know. I went down there, and I don't care anything about concerts, Jared. I just I like hanging out with my buddies and having a good time. And, sure. Uh, they had a booth set up. We went down there. gave a gave away. I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of hats. And they had these things called cooling towels and because it was hot as blazes down there. And we had these soaking in ice water and handing them out. And, you know, they gave out everything free. They had sticker, they stickers, they had patches. I mean, they had to give, they had to have given out over a thousand hats over, it was like a three day concert. So I went down there one day and I mean, it was a blast. We had a good time just going and throwing out hats and meeting people 
And uh, yeah, absolutely. It was Chris Stapleton was like the main guy, and okay. he wanted a couple of the cases of the hats and the towels because he wanted to throw them out from the stage during the during the concert. So we hooked him up with uh, several of the hats and whatnot. So if any of you listeners were there um, and I didn't see you, or maybe we got some new listeners that are listening now because I did meet you down there. Uh, it was a great time, and I appreciate Caltech for inviting me down for that. It was a it was a really good time, but I didn't really watch any of the concerts. I heard they were good, but I was up by yeah. the stage, but I wasn't watching. Uh, <laughs> well, you don't need to watch it. It's it's music. It's music. You well, listen to it. Yeah, well, yeah that's what I never understood. That's what I never understood is why do you go to a concert? It's music. You listen to it. You can listen to it anytime you want, but I don't know. I just never got into concerts. Yeah, I'm with you. But go to their website, go to Caltech, and use the code LEADHEAD. You're going to get 15% off any of their products in their pro shop. Of course, firearms aren't included in that. Um, but any of their hats, their shirts, their accessories for the firearms that they do make, those are included. So if you got a Sub-2000, you got a RDB, uh, any of the accessories that they have for those, the KSG shotgun, um, uh, all that's included in that in that discount code. So, all right, Greg. Now, and I, I prepared you for this. And leadheads, I want to hear from you too on this too. But it's time for the planes and trains where we take care of some jack wagons and we honor some heroes. So, Gunny, bring that train in. Hurrah, right, Semper Fi, do or die, hold them high at eight tonight. It is time for the talking lead jack wagon of the week. So brace yourself, baby. Yeah. Perfect. All right, the train has stationed, and I've got, I don't know if it's a jack wagon or not, but it's something that I, I just learned of. So I'm going to go first, Greg, if you don't mind. Normally, I'll, I default to sure. our, our guest, but I'm going to go ahead and... and you got to stop calling me Greg, though. All right, did I call you Greg? Jared. Jared. <laughs> Where did Greg come from? Right, because I just sent you that email on Greg Coker. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Jared is our guest today with STA Blades. Uh, Jared, I've got this, uh, I was doing some reading today, and this thing came up about incandescent light bulbs. And I didn't know that there was this big movement, or there's actually a law now that incandescent light bulbs can't be sold or manufactured anymore in the United States. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Yeah, this has been a thing for a while. I think since 2014 or, I don't know, maybe even before then. But uh, supposedly that the deadline has come and they can't manufacture, they can't make them or sell them anymore. Now, if stores have them in stock, they can still sell those and you can you can buy them. And it's not illegal for you to use them in your house. They're not going to come kick down your door, from what I understand, <laughs> because you're using... So nice of them. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it so nice? But it just it just reminded me of the you know the things that they're trying to do with firearms. Sure. You know they say they they tell you one thing, but then you know they they do another. But supposedly the incandescent light bulbs uh, are contributing to the global warming, the climate. They call it climate change of now. Of course. Instead of global warming, they've changed their right. their name on it. Yeah. So uh, I I just I don't understand how the light bulb is causing the global warming or the climate change. 
Well, I don't I don't think anybody understands what's causing global warming. But I just on I LED light bulbs. I understand. You do? Yeah. It's called the sun. The, yeah, the sun. It's called yeah, the sun, exactly. and we're getting closer to the sun every second. <laughs> and, yeah. 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 As far as the LED light bulbs go, I remember when LEDs came out, they were supposed to be that you know 10-year you know use. Like, they last forever. Now when I buy an LED light bulb, it seems like I'm changing them out faster than I was the incandescent. Incandescent, so yeah. It, it's just... It's it's all a scam. Yeah. yeah, and I think it has to do with it has to do with it's money. It's all it all has to do with money. Is that these politicians sure. have bought money yeah. into these these companies that produce and manufacture the parts sure. and the pieces and the components, and it's it's lying in their pockets. But I mean, I do I do see that they don't burn as hot right. as an incandescent bulb. I get that, so there's less heat put out on them, but at the same time, I just I don't see how that changes any of our climate. I don't see how that's affecting our climate one way or the other. Maybe in the big process of manufacturing them, uh, I don't know what goes into manufacturing an LED versus what went into manufacturing an incandescent. Maybe there's more that goes into producing these in, these LEDs, which in the long run is going to be worse because it takes more resources, more power to make them and generate them. I don't know. I'm just speaking out of my ass right now. So I'm just throwing up what ifs. Yeah, it know, all makes sense to me. Kind of scenarios. But I just found out about this today when I was reading through the news and I was like, what? Like it's, it's illegal now. It's against the law to make a light bulb, an incandescent. Can light you imagine bulb. being in prison and telling the dude that's what you're in for? <laughs> right. As you're getting pounded from, from yeah. the back. <laughs> it's like, Jeez. it's like, dude, it was just a light bulb. Uh, but I understand that the, the newer ones, there's like, they use mercury and I know mercury is not good for us whatsoever. No form or fashion, you know, you know, vaccines, I don't know if they still do it or not, but I know that vaccines, they used to put mercury in vaccines. I think they still do. Maybe not in, in America, but it was an adjutant. They used it as an adjutant with the vaccine because it um, gave a greater immunity response from the body. The body had a, it kind of shocked it more into fighting, I guess, the, the poisons that they're putting in your body with a vaccine, because that's what right. it is. They're injecting you with whatever the, the disease is, so your body right. can build up an immunity to it. But they added the, the mercury as an adjutant to give it an extra boost or shock. For your body to produce more of the the white blood cells, I guess to to fight it, and uh, so I, I can't imagine that uh, mercury and light bulbs is good for us either. Uh, either, <laughs> no, I don't know. But anyway, that that's kind of not really a jack wagon, but just more of a things that make you go hmm kind of deal. And I'm I guarantee you, there's some jack waggeringness behind it. So <laughs> I'll do Absolutely. more research and 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 try to get you guys some more answers in the future. But that that's my jack wagon. So Jared, not Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Jared. Uh, what have you got for us today? What's your jack wagon? So this happened to me about, let's see, about a month ago, maybe. I just, you know, I've been slow to get on a website and all that stuff. So I finally got my website up. 
I was all super proud. Like now I'm somebody and my company's somebody and my friend who is doing my website, we, we were going to sign up for a merchant account so that I could run credit cards through my website. And the company that was doing it had a, they, they had a prohibited dangerous weapons. Okay. So we had to call them. They prohibited and, the and sale of dangerous weapons of dangerous weapons. Okay. So I had to, we had to call them and the lady that answers the phone, you know, I understand she's just, she's doing her job. It's probably not her policies and she's probably very confused. Well, she was very confused because, uh, I said, well, what about like these company, you know, I make, I make kitchen knives, I make cutlery as well. And she's like, well, that's fine. We can, we can do like a little amendment if you're doing the, the kitchen knives, but if you're selling knives of war, we can't do it. <laughs> knives of <And> war. <laughs> knives of war. And I and I. So my webmaster and I were were laughing, uh, and we just kind of looked at each other. And I and I'm like, okay, kitchen knives are okay, even though they kill a thousand times more people every year than these quote unquote knives of war. I mean, everybody that you know. It, it, all these murders that take place with kitchen knives. Yeah. But the, the, they're okay because you're, they're supposed to be used to cut food and not people. So I had to go through a third party vendor on their site, which, so they still let me sell the knives. I'm just having to go through a third party to do it. Right. it it's you're really doing it through them, but they're, they're subcontracting it out to another company. And you're probably yeah. having to pay an up fee to be able to no, do that. No, it's that's the weird thing. It's it, it didn't cost me. It's not costing me anything uh, anything else right now huh. as of yet. But uh, so so that blades in stock page that you're on yeah. will be set up once our merchant account uh, goes through. So, but yeah, so I, I, I thought coining the new term knives of war was, was kind of a cool, uh, I learned something from her. I didn't realize uh, I made knives. As you can see those knives right there. I mean, those are just knives of war. Yeah. Those are, I just, I mean, they scream yeah, of, I, sh of, I should charge more for them. Yeah. Of the days of uh, the medieval times, knives of war. Yeah. Yeah. The claymore, so, you know, a big, a big so claymore. That, that, that was my little, uh my little upsetting moment that I had with them that I just thought just made zero sense. And it infuriates me when there's a rule that makes no sense. That's worse. Well, and then they come up with these like made up fake sense. terms like knives yeah. of war or assault weapons. Yeah. Uh, to make things scarier yeah. to fit their yeah. narrative, I guess. Uh, it, it, it's, it's stupid. So it is completely stupid. Again, another, yeah. Another, you know, knives for self-defense. You know, right. Knives of war. <laughs> knives of war. Yeah. That's, that's redonkulous. Yeah, it is. So I am on his, I'm on Jared's website now, STA Blades. You guys go to stablades.com as we're, as we're doing the interview here. You can check out um, all the products that Jared has for sale, what he makes. Um, have you got a, an about page? It's on the front page. On the home, Scan down. On the page. Like I said, you're going to have to forgive there it me a is. little bit. This, this page is brand new. Yeah, so here it is. Mom. So here's Jared, uh, his, about STA, and he's next to an ostrich. 
<laughs> yes. That ostrich does not exist anymore, though, as a side note. Uh, that ostrich actually attacked me, and it had to get put down. So the good thing is, is they taste really good. Was that uh, your pet? No, that was in the high fence uh, that for the ranch that I'm on. I got you. Uh, that was one of the animals we had in our high fence. Okay. So and, uh, it was it, a mean SOB, huh? Yeah, but it, it was it I came to found out that it was it was allergic to six five Grendel, so it uh, <laughs> it's nice. not with us any he's not with us anymore. You got some nice boots and a belt out of that? I haven't yet, but the meat's been pretty good. Okay. Now that that's completely legal. You can you can Correct. eat, kill an ostrich under the yeah. under the right yeah. circumstances, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. I mean, you can eat anything if you're hungry enough, but well, it's, I understand that. But sometimes there's them. there's rules and laws against certain things. Yeah, right? no, this we're, Texas is you know pretty pretty good about all that. Yeah, I um, had Ton Jones on a couple episodes ago, and uh, Ton's down there in Texas. Also, he works for a company okay. called Air Force Air Guns, and um, he took some veterans out and they did an air gun hunt on a yeah, high fence and they were shooting axis and, um, Oh, what was that? That Chinese deer, something date David's. Da oh, Pierre David. Pierre. Yeah. Yeah. Pierre yeah. David. Yeah. Um, we've got some of those in our high fence. Yeah. He said that's that, a big that, animal to be shooting with an air gun too. I mean, that's, you that's could, no joke. People hunt, uh, water Buffalo with, yeah, I saw somebody shoot a uh, an eland with one, mm -hmm. which is just crazy. Well, I mean, it's they're they have fifty caliber air guns. Yeah, so yeah. it's no different than shooting with a right. I mean, a, a centerfire. Yeah, exactly. You still got the projectile; it's going the feet per second it needs to go, and does exactly. the damage it needs to do. Exactly, uh, and they're yep. quiet. They are. Yeah. Extremely quiet. So, um, any heroes? You got any heroes that you want to honor today? We, I think we've. Yeah, I do actually. Um, you know, I, I know obviously, uh, everyone is appreciative and, and looks up to, you know, our first responders and our military men and women that are serving and, and, and every, you know, we always, of course, hold them in a high regard and everything. But there are some people that do a lot of stuff behind the scenes for these types of people. So a lot of charities out there, a lot of nonprofits that are helping support veterans and, and things like that. And that is that is an awesome thing. I, I like to donate tons of stuff to that every year. But there's a group that I would like to recognize that does things that are for active duty and reserve units. And okay, cool. this company is called americansnipers.org. It is ran by a group of just absolute gentlemen who've been doing this for probably since the beginning of the global war on terror. And what they do is these are people who take no no paycheck. They get they take no percentage. They do all the traveling. Everything is is on their own dime. They go to SHOT Show. They set up booths. And I what think they do I've met is, those guys. 
Okay. I think yeah. I met them and I've got a couple of challenge coins that I've Yeah, I've their bought. challenge coins are they're known for their their challenge coins. Uh you know, they they don't hold anything back on how they feel about uh people that want to do harm to our military, but what these guys do is they get with units that need specific equipment that the military won't or can't purchase for them. So not every Everybody has discretionary funding, you know, like some of the tier one units. Um, people would be shocked if they saw what your basic military sniper platoon is equipped with and what they should be equipped with. And so these units can get a hold of americansnipers.org and they raise funds and they deal with people in the industry. So if a group wants, uh, you know, some sort of optic a spotting scope or laser range finders that they can't get American snipers.org will get that for them and send it to the unit and help these guys with, uh, you know, whatever it takes to kill bad guys. Right. So with that, uh, what I'm doing right now, you, you talked about their challenge coins. So what I'm doing right now with blades for brothers, which we'll get into a little bit as well is I'm doing a knife for American snipers.org. And I'm either going to do a, a raffle or, or something. I got to figure it out. Maybe it's something you can help me with. Sure. Um, and, and what I did is I, I have a, I have a blade called my smatch it and Ooh. a smatch it is, is kind of a world war two. I love uh, that type dagger. I love and what that. I did is this is, this is a sand my, so it's, it's three layers of steel, but I also put in uh, the nickel lining on it. And then what I did was I made this handle and I embedded their challenge coin into the handle. So the American snipers.org challenge coin. Nice. From about, I think this is about 2016. Very this cool. Was their challenge coin. And then I also put some, uh, I don't know if you could see it very well. I put some, some burlap from my ghillie suit that I wore as a, as a sniper on active duty and I embedded it into the handle. And so I'll be auctioning or raffling this off and then giving them 100% of the proceeds to help their, their fight with uh, supporting our troops that are actively trying to kill bad guys. Very so, cool. And what's that? Yeah. Style so called I appreciate again? everything that they do. What's that blade called again that you're, it's called a smatch it. Smatch it. Is that an actual name or is that something you made up? It's actual name. So the Smatchet was uh, type of kind of a World War One, World War Two era, and then uh, Fairbane, Rex Applegate, and Fairbane guys. They they came out with a their version of it, and this is based off of the the Fairbane Smatchet. Okay. So it's a double edged, uh, wide blade, not necessarily a dagger that's made for you know with a needle point for piercing, uh, this wound channel, you know, you don't want this in your body. Basically, <laughs> No, it's, it's a big fat dagger is what that is. So I'm doing that, uh, to help raise funds for them to be able to raise funds for people on active duty, which that's I think awesome, is a very man. unique thing that they're doing. So, yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. as you get, uh, get it all worked out on how you're going to, uh, raise, raise the funds for that, whether it's at a raffle or auction or however you do that, let me know. I'll make sure we'll let the lead heads know and, Awesome. They can get my, I'm yeah, sure I'll probably be, put a bid on that too. That thing's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's great. So yeah, those are my, those are my heroes that I want to give a little shout out to because they do a lot of stuff for nothing. And most of the time they're paying out of pocket. 
to even do stuff. So yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I've met him a couple of times, uh, either at Shot Show or uh, NRA or or somewhere. I know I know I've run into him and talked to him a couple of times because I do have a couple of their challenge coins. I've got one that's got um, the skeleton, the skull, with skeleton the bullet with the hole bullet hole in it. Yeah. And it says face shoot the fuckers. <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it does. Yeah. I'll go get yeah. it in a minute and I'll, uh, yeah, that, they're, that, that, it, they're we'll a good organization. I, I've been doing stuff with them for a long, long time. So what's their names again? American sniper, American snipers.org.org. .org. Okay. So let's go check them out. American snipers.org. Yeah. Very that would cool. be awesome. Thank you guys. So my hero is kind of steering away from that a little bit. And I don't know that he's really a hero, but I just like it because he he bucks the system. And he, he gives a big fuck you to to the media and, and people who don't go along with his way of thinking or thoughts. But Elon Musk, he just changed yeah. Twitter. He, got, he did right. away with Twitter. It's X now. It's called X. Just the big old letter X. His, <laughs> which... It's black and it's you know dark and it's not this little uh, happy tweeter bird you know that Twitter right. was all about before about oh chirp 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 because that's all Twitter is is a bunch of nonsensical chirping going on and right. I'm sure it will continue to do that um, but I can't wait to see the fallout of all the people bitching and moaning because he changed it to X and protests that are gonna come from that and and all the turmoil that he's going to create you know absolutely love that no i think it's great when a guy does something that's very against the grain to a lot of people for reasons that he doesn't have to that dude doesn't have to do anything in life whatsoever but collect money yeah and even if he doesn't collect money he's got probably more stockpiled up in in assets and everything else he doesn't have to do it. It's like, he, to me, he's a true entertainer. It's it's entertaining what he's doing. Well, he's an innovator also. You know, Absolutely. He's, he's sure. innovating the the social media world. And yeah, which it needs. It does. It needs a kick in the ass. And I mean, I don't, I don't know that he's going to change anything as far as what Twitter is. And I think they still are choking uh, free speech down. I don't. I don't think they've really lifted any of their free speech bans that they that they had in the past. Even though they've talked a big right. game, I don't know how much of that has has actually changed. Um, but I know Rumble. You can go to Rumble, follow us on Rumble, and you can free speech there all you want. Um, as long as you're not, exactly. you know, you doing illegal shit. Yeah. You know? Don't try. Right. Don't do illegal shit, and you'll be fine. So uh, that's my hero. Just, just want to throw Elon Musk out there. I was hoping you were going to say like DB Cooper or somebody, you know. Like, uh, I don't know that DB Cooper's a hero. I think DB Cooper's a slime bag. I think he's, I think he's a, a, a jerk. I think he's a jack wagon for putting people's lives in danger like he did. I, I agree. I like that nobody got hurt, and I, I appreciate. I think he was just I think lucky. I appreciate more. Just the way, the way he he did some ballsy stuff that was the, and the the whole unknown about it yeah is is what's kind of uh, 
kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Well, I think it's unknown because he died and I buried yeah. him and <laughs> there, there's no yeah. evidence. Yeah. Uh, but no, well, the whole mystery. Like- oh, don't get me. I love conspiracy theories and, and all that. And, you know, for that, I really uh, have enjoyed him for all the entertainment that he has given me over the, these years and, you know, right. all the stories that, that people have about him. But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting story whatsoever, but I think he's been over romanticized for what oh, he for did. Sure. sure. But if he would have got caught, he wouldn't have been over romanticized. The whole, the whole point is that he, he's not here. So, yeah, you know, that's the, you know, or maybe something like Gary with Gary Plosh or Plache, the guy that was talking on the telephone when that child, when the guy that molested his kid walked by in the airport and he turned around and shot him in the ear. Oh no, I don't, I don't you know, know that, that story. Uh, uh-uh. I don't know that. No, one. you don't. Oh man. No, tell it. This, this, this kid got molested by like his karate coach or his karate teacher. And who's like a 25 year old guy or whatever. And there's some famous pictures and the, the dad found out where the marshals were taking him through the airport. And so he, he was talking on the phone to his buddy and he, and as the guy walked by, he just turned around and put a revolver in his ear and pulled, pulled the trigger. So yes, I you know, do. The hero list, the hero I know what you're talking about there. And that guy is a, a fucking hero. Yeah. There's no doubt yeah, about it. Sure. That, um, because I, I almost thought about naming a knife after him because he passed away in like the early 2000s, I think. Yeah. Because all my knives are named after friends or family and and things like that. And so I was like, man, I should do like a GP, you know, stab. Yeah, and he had something. to go to jail for that too. It didn't, wasn't he? So I don't think. So. I don't. Did he not go you to know, jail? I don't know, man. It was a. It was kind of one of those. Uh, man. I don't think anybody wanted to touch it too much. He he might have done a little bit of time, but he definitely didn't go to jail for like yeah. premeditated. I saw that murder. video like a couple of months ago. I know exactly what you're talking about now, and I saw the video, or maybe it was a replay of it. Um, I don't know what it was, but yeah, he was on the phone, faking like he was yep. talking on the phone. Dude was walking by all smug, you know. Yep. The the child. And I love it dude. on face on my Facebook page every Father's Day that's the picture that my friends put up is, is him talking on the phone while that guy's walking by. And it's like, you know, happy, happy father's day to all the real fathers that go out of their way. That's what it was. Know? It was some sort yeah. of, um, social media post I saw. And then yeah. I did some research on it and I was like, what the hell is this? I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. That hero. dude, that dude's a hero. Yeah. He gets a, he gets a ride on lead force one. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. So we have the jack wagon train that all the jack wagons go on. And sometimes they get run over by, but then our heroes get a ride on our nice plush Air Force One, lead like lead Force One. It's like Air Force One, but it's lead Force One. Right. It's got nice plush Corinthian leather seats. It's got a full bar. It's got you know the stewardesses. Yeah. Do they call them yeah. flight attendants now? I'm sorry. Flight attendants. Of the of the whatever wow. persuasion that they would like. You know, if right. it's a female hero, they get what they yeah. You know. We take care of our heroes. All right, so that does it for the Planes and Trains segment. If you leadheads have nominations that you want to send in, we'll read them on air, email them to me, talkinglead at gmail.com, and uh, I will I will get those to you. Don't don't shoot them to me on social media through the, the DMs or anything like that because uh, I won't ever I won't ever see them. And if I do, it won't be in time. So you can't blame me for not reading it if you do it that way. Hey there, Leadhead Brigade. Lefty here with some important news for you. 
Forecasters from the University of Arizona warn that 2023 will be a very active hurricane season, and they're asking people to get prepared. They're expecting the number of major hurricanes this year to be similar to 2017, which saw the extremely intense and damaging hurricanes that we all heard about, Harvey, Irma, and that nasty old Maria. How bad can it get? Well, when Hurricane Ida hit the Gulf Coast, it destroyed countless homes and left many without access to food, clean water, millions lost power. Most didn't have power for weeks. The floods that followed the hurricane washed out the roads, made it impossible for grocery stores to restock their shelves. Families were left hungry and desperate, waiting for help that was slow to arrive. But what if you didn't have to be reliant on the government, FEMA, your neighbor, grocery stores during these crises? The answer is simple. Be prepared with emergency food kits from 4Patriots. Their long-lasting, delicious food options are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it the most. 4Patriots survival food kits are hand-packed in the USA. They last 25 years. They come packed inside covert storage totes. They include a wide variety of delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners. They've even got some snacks that are tasty. And they're backed by thousands of five-star customer reviews. Just go check out their website, 4Patriots.com, and read them for yourself. 4Patriots Survival Food is not just for natural disasters. Because in today's world of uncertain supply chains and unpredictable emergencies, it's more important than ever to have a backup plan. Whether it's a temporary power outage, a winter blizzard, or rising food costs, which we're all feeling that these days, right? You can rest easy knowing that you have a reliable source of food to see you through it. And right now, you can go to 4Patriots.com and use this exclusive code, LEADHEAD, all caps, LEADHEAD, one word, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, not just their food kits. So go check them out, 4Patriots.com. Use the code LEADHEAD to get 10% off your first purchase of 4Patriots Survival Food. That's 4Patriots.com, guys. Use the code LEADHEAD and get that 10% off. And speaking of, I made a post for questions for not Greg, but Jared. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited about some of these questions. I saw some We got some good questions, and we're going to go over those. Real good but we want to we wanna first find out more about how you got into this, this knife-making uh started off probably as a hobby, but now it's your business. You're making good living at it. And, uh, you know, it came from, from the COVID, but I mean, you probably had, uh, an affinity or, you know, you'd always thought about it prior to that. So what, what really got you hooked on, on knives in general? Man, Cause I love, I, would, I, would I love owning knives. I love buying knives and collecting them and, you know, carrying them, showing them off. I wish I didn't like knives to be totally honest because i kind of feel like i'm that heroin dealer that's addicted to his product so i i would be much better oh there you go that's a good one i'll tell you about this one a little bit later that, that's a nice one I, yeah i i i've always liked knives i've always carried knives I, obviously you know in the military i carried my k-bar for the first couple of years and then uh you know during my time in the Marine Corps it, at Camp Pendleton, there was a, uh, at the time, there was a little knife uh, making company in Oceanside uh, called Strider Knives. And so I was always in with the, with Dwayne and Mick. And, you know, I bought one of their BTs, which I think stands for Big Tonto. 
and all the guys in my units, we all had striders. It was, it was all strider knives. And then they exploded into this big company and filled so many gaps and, and did all of that. And that was my knife experience. It was like mm -hmm. K bars and striders. Like I didn't really have, you know, I wasn't a collector. I didn't know all that I've heard of like Randall and stuff like that. But, uh, the, the K bar and the strider, the strider being the higher end was kind of the one where like, yeah, it was just priced enough to where a military guy could afford it. Yeah. But when you got it, it was like, man, I feel like I'm, freaking somebody now like, did you like that I'm a lot better my, than your k-bar yeah you know the k-bars are good but the the k-bars the are to me just too big so how many did I you ever like, break a k-bar i've never broken one uh but you know like the ones we got issued to us were just dog shit like you yeah. know you could not keep them sharp the knives were were protruding through the leather scabbard at the bottom. You know, they were just they were just really old. Yeah. Um whereas the striders Well that they were probably rushed suits. rushed made because of the quantity and they were they had this batch and they knew it was going to Well yeah, and they're probably the forty years old. Yeah. You know, when when you have a blade that can survive forty years of being issued to a twenty year old uh, for 40 years, you know, that's, it's, it's a good knife. So you have to give your K bar back. Well, so like we, depending on what unit you were with or what weapon system you carried, you were, it, you could be issued a K bar, Yeah. but you could buy your own at the PX. And that's what most people did because at least if you bought your own, it was, uh, sharp, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, in, 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 in the nineties is when, is when uh, Ontario or whoever makes the K bar or K bar, I guess now as a company, yeah. um, they were just coming out with like the new sexier versions with like the, the third of the blade being serrated and a Kydex sheath. So, so Marines were running out to buy those as well. But um, you know, I carried one for a couple of years. I, I mean, is it a cool knife? Yeah, it's a cool knife. They ju it just stayed stagnant. With I'm just curious as to the quality and the durability of because you, you know, you saw action. You you went through some some pretty rough areas, and I'm just curious as far as the uh, the whole makeup of the K bar knife itself, the the handle, you know, the the pommel, right. the the blade, you know, all that. How well they actually hold up. They're not bad. I mean, the, the thing with the K bar is you have like on a, on, on a lot of the fighting knives out there, like, like this one right here, mm -hmm. this is my MV fighter. And this is what's called a full tang knife. So it basically has two slabs of G10 on each side. And as you can see, the blade runs all the way down and it's about, you know, it's over an inch wide. So that gives you a lot of strength. So on the K-bar, the K-bar is what's called a hidden tang knife. And so the tang goes down into the handle, but the handle completely encapsulates the tang. So and in order to do that, you have to make the tang a lot thinner yeah. here. And it kind of goes down and, and sometimes kind of rat tails. It's not as sturdy. So when, yeah. So when you talk about strength, if I'm using that as like a pry tool, it's not going to be as strong as like a full tang knife, most likely. 
So it's not made for like, it's not the most indestructible gun. I mean, it's a hundred dollar knife. Yeah. It's a hundred dollar, you know, would it still be a K bar if they made a full tang out of it? Yeah. I would, think does that change it? Does that change the K bar? The K bar to me kind of reflects the blade profile. Like the blade profile of the K bar is a great fighting knife profile. I think, right. You know, it's, and that's what its, it's general it's, purpose was is more for fighting, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, you know, issued to the, the BAR gunners and, and things like that. And it was kind of a, just a, a, a fighting knife that was made for, you know, hand to hand combat back when, back in the days when, you know, the military did a lot of that stuff in jungles or, you know, things like that. But, uh, it's a, it's a good knife. You know, I wouldn't say it's anything like crazy great, but it's a good knife. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to get you to talk shit about it. I just, somebody who actually Whoa, used I one and, and like really used one, just, uh, you know, your, your thoughts and because it, it's, it does, it has, it has a great reputation, you know, the K bar, uh, it's got a, a big history behind it. And, uh, sure. Yeah, no, it, it definitely has a, a, a good history behind it, but it's like the bayonet. It's just stayed stagnant in its design for, you know, 50 years, yeah. you know, or probably longer now. Right. And that's why I just, I didn't understand why instead of, the hidden tang, why they just wouldn't make it a full tang to give it that extra bit of durability and usefulness, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, back in the day, a lot of knives were made out of full, you know, full tang was, or excuse me, hidden tang was kind of the, the way to, way to go back then. I mean, it's, it's a lot it's less cheaper. Steel than you're using. Yeah. yeah. It's cheaper. I mean, that's what it probably boils down to is like cheaper, cheaper to make. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so so the Strider, you you kind of preferred the Strider over the the K bar. Yeah, I mean, what Strider was doing with their knives, they were filling a massive gap in the knife world with the the quote unquote tactical knives, and the the steel that was being used, the cord wrapped handle that prevented slippage, and their sheaths. Their sheaths were made by Special Operations Equipment, which was right next door to to strider it was a really good sheath and they put a kydex liner on the inside of the nylon that protect it from protruding through and cutting you it was just a really badass knife especially back in the day when they when they started doing this stuff and the, you know they were like 300 and something bucks back in the day now Str strider's kind of gone different routes and they're as you can see mick and Dwayne are both doing a lot more folding knives than they are fixed blades mm -hmm. but their fixed blade knives were absolutely incredible so is is it Mick Strider? Is this the Mick Strider? Yeah. Okay. So, so I've got so it Mick pulled is... up for our. Yeah. Our so there you here. go. So like the the BN is very similar to what I carried. Okay. Um, is that kind of what replaced the BT? Is that where you're? I don't the 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 BN. I think is just a little narrower. Okay. Uh, I don't see a BT on here. They may not. I don't even know if they still still do it or not. Um, but you know, a knife like that when you're a when you're a young marine or something like you feel like a freaking badass with that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, it's you know, it's the full tang. It's a lot more yeah. sturdy. Just makes you feel more confident when you get that when you get that in your hand. As far as the knife goes for the military, the military is not winning wars on knives. Knives no. aren't winning wars. No. So it's like to them, it's just not as an important of a. But again, it's know, that it's that whole men mentality. Of I've got the best yeah. equipment, I've got the best, sure. 
and I'm going to be the but, best because I got the best. But that's never the case with the military. <laughs> it's I not. Mean, it never well, has been. At least been. with the Marine Corps. Yeah. I mean, I was getting stuff. I was getting new stuff that we were getting. The Army had been using for 10 years already. So it's like, yeah. you know. It, well, and it goes back to what you were saying with American snipers also is that, you know, they're buying better equipment and gear and giving it to our servicemen and women. You know, they're sure. donating it to it. And if, you know, if they want something good, then they have to either buy it themselves or they have to get it donated from, a, you know, from a, a third party. Yeah. To, to get no, the good stuff that saves their lives. Body armor, you know, for example. Yeah. And, and, you know, to give you an, an, an idea of what I used, I, I used in my sniper platoon, we had the M 49 spotting scope. It was a fixed 20 power spotting scope. Okay. It, it's been used since the Korean war. Okay. And it's, and it's, it was still issued out, you know, 45 years later, mm-hmm. it, dog shit glass, aluminum tubing that got super, super hot fixed power yeah fixed power so in low light or up close it's like impossible to look through that's the stuff that marine snipers were issued forever you know and so you have companies like americansnipers.org that will go out and order you know loophole mark 4 12 to 40 power with with reticles and stuff in them and get these units properly equipped that need that type of equipment and you know it's it's very frustrating because everybody thinks that the military just gets this amazing equipment and mill spec this and mill spec that and well it's got mill spec is the the least amount that it (laughs) that it has to be that's what people don't understand i think mill spec is like oh that's great quality but no it's it's the minimum it it meets the bare minimum no it, it absolutely is yeah but uh it's just, it just frustrates me because they spend all these billions of dollars on this shit equipment that if they, again, if they would just team up with organizations, you know, like American Sniper and just get them the good shit on the front end, you know, and get everybody yeah. the good shit. And then we wouldn't have to earn yeah. and quit sending billions of dollars to these foreign countries that have nothing to do with us and could give two shits about America. Right. Well, if they truly cared about the military, Ukraine. that's what they'd do. I'm yeah. so, I'm talking Ukraine, don't, motherfuckers. Don't get. <laughs> let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, that's for another show. We're talking exactly. We're talking blades. We're talking knives. That's right. Uh, so that's kind of what what uh, led to your your knife. Um, yeah, affinity. So, so I just honestly, like, I never thought. I never before I started thinking about doing this. There was never like a a point in my life where I was like man, I want to make a knife one day. I, I I think that would be fun. It just never, I mean, I sat there and watched Dwayne and Mick grinding for years. Yeah. Never thought, wow, that's, that's cool. I want to do that. You know, now I do anything to be able to go back and be like, Dwayne, Mick, can you show me how to grind? Can you show me how to make a knife? Um, all of that. It just never interested me. And then when I just thought about doing it and, and took my little knife making class and everything, then it became an interest to me. I, I never really had a big interest in well, let's it. Let's talk about that. You said you took a, a knife class from Chuck. Yeah, from a gentleman named Chuck Stone. Chuck Stone. Uh, Tell us about him. With Masters Masters Forge. He is a uh he is a blacksmith and a bladesmith. He was on Forged in Fire episode like 
or season, I think it was season six, episode 20. And he ended up cutting his hand really bad Ooh. during the show. And, uh, so he didn't move forward onto the, the main thing, but he, he's, a just an old school Texan blacksmith. And I Googled, you know, knife makers or, or how to make a, how to make a knife for the area in Texas that I was in. And it came up there. So I contacted him and I went out and did like three or four days with him and everything that I thought I was going to learn, I didn't. And the things that I learned, I had no idea I was going to learn. So for instance, most everybody uses like a propane forge or a kiln for their, for their heat treating process. And with Chuck, everything was coal forge. So you have to maintain the forge forge you have to maintain the heat you have to you know get all that and watch the knife so the steel doesn't melt basically and it was all hand hammering there was you, you know we didn't use uh disc grinders to cut any of the pieces off if we wanted to cut pieces off we had to use a hot chisel and you know hammer off the piece it was extremely old school and i thought that was really cool and so like i the first thing i went out and did was i bought a coal forge and so I have a, co a couple of coal forges now. And you're and, saying you know, coal, C-O-A-L, coal, coal not, you not cold, use, but coal. Correct. Yeah. For the longest, I thought people were saying coal. cold forge. I was like, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, right? No, you're literally using coal right. to, to produce the heat and, and get that blade to where it's at. And there's a lot of benefit. There's benefits to, to coal forging. And there's, you know, there's some downfalls to it. And I do all three now. So I have coal, I have propane, and then I have a kiln. And the kiln you, you need to have when you do like stainless blades. So stainless steel, you pretty much need, you have to have a, a kiln. Is that because of the temperature you have to get it up to? It, it's, it has to do with the temperature and what they call the soak time. So for instance, like AEBL stainless steel it, it needs to be, you know, 1925 degrees for, you know, 10, 15 minutes at that temperature. And so if you're running it in a propane forge, there's no way for you to maintain that constant temperature. Yeah. Now, is there, there's, hot. Is there some sort of some some kind of cookbook that people because I know you didn't know all these metals and you didn't know the temperatures that they needed to be when you first got into this. I mean, that's something that you have to. You have to learn right. either through textbook or, or education or just hands-on, oh, shit, that didn't work. No, I, I mean, I I watched a lot of Forge and Fire, which, you know, guys say this and that about it. But I learned – what I took away from Forge and Fire was the mistakes that people made. I didn't, I didn't look at it as like an educational thing on like how to make a knife. I almost looked at it as how not to make a knife. Right. And and the mistakes that they make, yeah. I try to 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 stay away from. Because that's not reality I, either. I mean, that, nobody tries to time themselves on making a knife. You know, they they want to put the the time and the proper effort into it and the proper time. Uh, for sure. Yeah. No, for for sure. I mean, it in. And, you know, so I, I did watch uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Forge and Fire. I, I got that information and, and made some knives. And I, I basically just locked myself in my Forge for like four months until I actually sold a knife. Like I, I was a total hermit for four months, just doing anything I can to figure out what's wrong, what I'm doing right, doing this and that. And, 
then I kind of got my recipes together and then I, you know, invested into equipment. Cause when I started my forge, I had about $5,000, which was like the last $5,000 I had to my name after not working for a year through COVID. And so when I got that going, you know, $5,000 sounds like a lot of money, but it's, it's not when you're talking about grinders and belts and steel and oil and forges and yeah. all this stuff, it goes quick. And then, and then, Oh, by the way, I don't know how to use any of this shit. And so now I have a trial and error period that turns into more of error period. Right. And so Greg's Greg's over there laughing at me because uh, he knows what I'm talking about. But uh, was he know, there he, when he, I was calling you Greg instead of Jared? No, <laughs> no, no. But, uh, you know, so just learning how to do it. And then obviously you make this beautiful knife. Well, you think it's beautiful, you know, and then you have to go test it and make sure that everything's good on it. And so you're basically destroying it. And then you do that for a bunch and then did you take you, the class first before you made the decision to invest the 5,000? Yes. Yes. I took the class and then I had the 5,000. I took the class and then I immediately went and bought what I thought I needed. And I ended up wasting so much money on stuff that you just, you know, I just didn't know. Right. And that's why like when, when my buddies like Greg and stuff want to get into knife making, Greg does it now with, with people through his nonprofit the goal is, you know, if I say you need a grinder, that's like saying you need a car. Well, what's your budget? Right. How fast do you want it to go? You know, this and that. It's like a drill it, press. So you need a drill press. Well, there's all kinds of different qualities it, of drill presses. Exactly. Exactly. So when you buy all that stuff in the beginning, like I did, I, I spent, I just bought shit I just didn't need or the wrong stuff. And yeah. that's the stuff that we try to do is get people to buy the right stuff first it doesn't have to be the you know the whole buy once cry once that's not necessarily true there's tons of equipment it, it the the equipment to me is like is like uh in the firearms world right it's like okay fear the man who only owns one gun because he knows how to use that gun right, right? understanding and how to, how to use your equipment it doesn't matter what it is if you know how to use it correctly and you've got your training and time on it, you'll yeah. be extremely effective with it. And it may not even be well, that like, great of a piece of equipment. If you do it long enough too, then you you develop your own tools. For sure. You know? Yeah. It's, exactly. So you find out like, oh, I repurposed this for this, and it works a lot better than if I were to go out and buy something for me, because everybody's different. Yeah. I mean, and, and I have, you know, like I have friends that are big players in the knife industry that I've known over 20 years and you know like Dwayne and Mick and, and Greg Medford you know I, I didn't you know I get some guidance from them for sure but like I didn't want to be the one guy that was like hey man I'm making knives teach me how to do this like I didn't want to be that guy I didn't want to use those favors I kind of wanted to do it on my own and I and I did get help from them you know yeah uh, but it wasn't like here come up become an apprentice and, and work for two years under them and learn how to make knives. Right. But I, you know, I'd ask them a stupid question every now and again. Talk about the, the very first knife that you did make, not the one um, you sold, but the very first one that you attempted to, to make, what were you trying to yeah, make? Um, I made the, the first one that I made was 
probably it was about probably about eight or nine inches total length. It was like a Tonto type, uh, very, very right angle, you know, square blocky. Like if it was a car, it would probably be a Volvo, you know, it's just boxy. (laughs) And, but to me it was like, Holy crap. I just made a knife. Like I can do this now. Yeah. You know, uh, do you still have that? I, I don't, I refined it a little, I should have just kept it in the condition that it was in, but I refined it over the years and, sure. and stuff like that. Um, it, but well, I mean, you're always you trying know, to I, improve and make things better, but so you don't have it anymore. No, but I have a batch of knives that I did like right at the same era of that knife. Yeah. And when I, when I look at those, um, you know, I, I, I look at when I started this and in where I got lucky was I had my training company, you know, that I started in like 2011. So I had a following of people that have done training with me for years and firearms training, firearms training. Yeah. And so that's when I learned in the beginning that I had really good friends because I look back on the knives that I first started making and I'm like, yeah, my, my friends must just, they must just love me because <laughs> they, I don't know why they bought this. You know what I mean? Right. Even though, I hope that one day those knives are worth, you know, more than the knives that I'm making now because of, of the different styles and, right. and, it's and the things. first ones you made for the first. Yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. You know? So, uh, I mean, if I would have had one of the first, if you'd have had one of the first Randall's, you know, maybe I won't be as famous as Randall, but you know, who knows, uh, you know, just that, be worth, yeah, you never be know. worth something. Exactly. So having that, knowing how to use the equipment is, is definitely you know, the big part of it. Yeah. And how would you suggest somebody instead of, like you said, trial and error, because again, that's a big investment. How, sure. how do you suggest that they find out what equipment they need and how to use it? So obviously you can get on the error net and, and get a whole bunch of information that, that isn't always applicable to you. Right. But what I would, what I would recommend knowing what I know now like I'm part of an organization called the Texas knife maker guild and the Texas knife makers guild is an organization that basically supports bladesmiths and just people who are interested in blades or knives or bladesmithing. You don't have to be a blade maker to be part of the guild, but what the guild does looking back on it now, if I would have done this in the beginning, I'd have been way better off. What the guild does is, they tell you when all the knife shows are and they tell you, you know, it's 40 bucks, I think a year or something. And, th- but they do these things called hammer ins and a hammer in is where you have somebody that's pretty damn proficient with bladesmithing mm-hmm. and they host basically like a get together at their forge and it's, they're usually free Yeah, and you, people can just come out and they show you techniques, how to hammer forge, how to do handles. It, it, it's, it's is it like just a, a class or is it just you watch it's, and you're just observing? Like a, it's not like a, it's not like a structured class, Yeah, but it's, it's like a here, learn a couple of techniques. But what that does is it introduces you, you know, there could be 200 people at a hammer in, there could be 20 people at a hammer in, right. but it introduces you to people who are also kind of in the same boat, maybe a couple steps ahead of you, yeah. but they're in your area. Yeah. So like, that's cool. You know, if you're in kind of like a, an AR or AK build class kind of deal. Yeah. It's like a lick your lips. That was just a taste mm-hmm. of what it is. 
but you can get a lot of questions answered. So whatever state you're in, I guarantee you they have a knife makers guild for that state. And you just, you know, look for hammer ends. They're, they're usually free. And I mean, th these are guys like uh, Jim, Jim poor who owns flatland forge here in Texas. This, this guy's been, he's a amazing farrier, uh, you know, bladesmith and he does, you know, hammer ends and, they're they don't cost anything but the the guild the guilds will tell you where and when all these are so i just pulled up uh a website it's called knifemakersguild.com okay um the knife makers guild was established in 1970 the purpose of the guild were and continue to be promote custom knives and knife makers to assist the knife makers Technically, to encourage ethical professional business, blah 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 blah. So this sounds like a legitimate. Right. So, so if you go to like the, if you go to the Texas Knife Makers Guild, for and instance, I'm, I'm just going to see if this maybe might have one for every state and show you where you can sign up. Yeah, I know there's like a National Knife Makers Guild, and and that's the thing you want to be part of the the guild that's in your state. So when I sign up for the Texas Knife Makers Guild. They're on their website. They have all the events that they're they're a part of and that they support. And I've been I mean, these guys, they, they're active. They hit you up, let you know when hammerings are coming. They let you know when shows are coming up and this and that. It's just a it's a good organization for for 40 bucks a month. It's a or excuse me, 40 bucks a year. It's just an amazing organization. Super, super good people. What's the no one in Texas goes. called? Uh, Texas Knife Makers Guild. I'm going to pull that up. Is this it? Yep. All right. But this is state-specific. So if I'm yeah, in Tennessee, this I couldn't join this guild. Correct. You, you have to be a, you know, you have to be a, a, a Texas resident, I guess. Okay. Uh, but it'll it'll show events. It'll show, you know, uh, they'll, they'll contact you when there's hammer-ins and, and stuff like that. So here down at the bottom, here's some shows that are coming up. So like, I'm going to be doing the, the, uh, I'll be doing the lost pines knife show. Okay. Um, so this is a good resource. So what I was saying, it's a, you know, it's what a great resource. somebody's thinking about getting into, to the knife maker, they could join one of these guilds. Like you said, you don't have yep. to be a knife maker. You could join the guild, Correct. go to these hammer ends that sound pretty cool. Sound like it's a good, a good time for a, uh, a little barbecue or something too that they might. Yeah, they usually do like a little cookout or or something. But I mean, you want all your your questions answered. That that's where you go. Okay, very cool. So that's a good tip for our our listeners that are possibly thinking about getting into into for knife sure. making, whether it's for for professional or just for personal. So I know a lot yeah. of people are just you know just for their own you know personal hobby or you know, curiosity. They want to, they want to get, yeah, I've watched, like, I've watched the, the, that knife show. What's it called? Forge and fire. Forge and fire. You know, I, I sit there and watch that and I'm like, man, that's, it looks like it would be a lot of fun to do, but not under those circumstances that they're doing it. Obviously. Right. I mean, I like, yeah, there's no way I'd want to go on a, a competition show like that. And just seeing some of the processes and, you know, things that you do to go into it, it just looks like it would be very, Again, it's that creating your own thing that, you know, I, I made this, I created it from nothing into something. Right. You know, it's just that, that satisfaction of, 
I did this, you know, kind of thing. No, absolutely. I mean, who? I just never thought to even want to make a knife. It just never occurred to me. And then when I was kind of like watching the show and stuff, I'm like, man, this, this looks very interesting. Now you got to pay to play, you know, you got to have the equipment to do it. But right. the thing with going into these hammer ends and stuff like that, you start talking to guys like if, if a, if a new knife maker walked into my shop right now, there, there's probably no joke hundreds if not thousands of dollars of shit that i don't use anymore that they would absolutely be able to use you know that we could work something out on right. that's how all these guys are it's like like with you you probably have more ar bolts laying around you know <laughs> for the guy that wants to build learn how to build an ar-15 you know there's and these guys are generous with that stuff sure. i mean the knife community is is a very cool community i've had i've had very uh high-end knife makers be give me some of the best compliments that i could possibly get they they get nothing out of it you know it it it's just it's like the firearms industry i mean and especially the the competition community when you go to a three-gun competition uh or you're new and getting into one i mean people bend over backwards to help you out and absolutely suggest quit equipment and even let you borrow and use their own equipment. It's like yep. you say, you know, I've got all, uh, this holster that, you know, I replaced it with this one, but, you know, here, try this out. You might like it, you know, kind of deal. Um, yeah. So you're saying the knife community is very, very similar to that. It, it, no, it absolutely is. Nice. Absolutely is. Very cool. So as you're getting into this and you're learning your tech, you know, your technique and your methods and, you know, kind of where you want to go. And I guess you got into this, you know, you, you, you went into with the mindset of you want to start a business, not that you're doing this for, for hobby or, or. I don't know if at first I wanted to start a business. I, I really was kind of looking at this as like, maybe I can sell a couple of knives to somebody's for when I need some extra cash and not really make a whole business sure. out of it. Sure. You know, I never thought that it was going to turn into a big, not that I'm a big business but turn into something bigger than just maybe, you know, to me, I thought like making a knife was going to take me like a whole month to make. Yeah. You know, so like maybe I can make a knife and sell it for, you know, 400 bucks or whatever and get a little bit of extra income because during COVID 400, a little extra 400 bucks a month would go a long way for me where I was at. And, you know, fortunately I was in a small town in Texas where the cost of living was extremely cheap. And, you know, I had military disability coming in and things like that, that helped, but you know, when you're when cost you're of living is not cheap anymore, buddy. <laughs> no, but when you're when you're scraping to get by and somebody wants to give you four hundred bucks for a knife, hell yeah, I'll take that money. It just kind of snowballed into a little bit more than that. Yeah. So uh how long did it take you to actually decide that, yeah, I can legitimately make a living at this? Uh I think I'm still deciding, to be <laughs> honest. Uh I, I think Probably in the last year is where I got to where I could pretty much get by. Yeah. If I watch so my you're three expenses. years into this, you started about then 2020. Yeah. I sold my first knife. My first knife was around March of 2021, 2020. I'm just going by what you, you said. You kind of started in March 2020. Of 2021. Yeah. Yeah, March of 2021 is when I sold my first knife. 
Okay. Um, and then this probably the last year is where it got to the point to where I, I could, you know, not live comfortably every month, you know. But fair to say it took you about a good two years to really decide that, yeah, this is kind of the direction I want to head and yeah, try to make yeah. a living at this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm slow. So, so the average person could probably do it in six months. Well, so. I mean, everybody's got their own pace. So, yeah. Uh, and then life and then other things going on too. Like you said, you were doing it during COVID, and I'm sure supplies were probably hard to get during that time and materials and, you know, things like that, which they, you know, things seem to be as far as supply and demand uh, coming back. Uh, yeah. You know, getting our regular distributions and whatnot back until the next thing happens. Um, yeah. You know, you never know when disaster's going to strike. And oh, by the way, Four Patriots, a sponsor of the Talking Lead podcast, uh, will get you prepared for the next big disaster that that strikes. So, check out fourpatriots.com. Um, yeah, it's a good company. Yeah, are you familiar with them? They're right here in Tennessee. Yeah, 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 based here in Tennessee. Uh, so they, we just took them on. They're new sponsors, and we're proud to have them. And I've been using their products for the past couple of months now, and really enjoy the. The food products. I haven't used any of their other other products yet, but um, so the the knife, the very first knife you were talking about, the very first knife. What was it? What did you make? What did you sell? The one you sold. Um, it was a it was an M. It was what I call the. Hold on, I can tell you because I have it. No, that's I fine. have every. I have every knife I've ever sold. You've made a lot since then. You got to remember your first one, though. (laughs) Was it a custom order? No. So it's just one you made. Did you put it like on the internet, or was it a buddy that's like, "Hey, that's cool." It was a buddy. I got you. Buddy, I might have put it on Facebook, but I have I have a list of every blade I've made, and it looks like it was it was a I don't I don't offer it anymore. Yeah. But it was a, uh, basically it's a, a sax, it's a mini sax, like a, it was called the sax stabby at the time. So it was just a a little seven inch overall cord wrapped handle, you know, uh, the grinds I'm sure were crooked as a question mark and, (laughs) and all that. But, uh, it it was to a buddy of mine and that was kind of, like I said, I had a good following of, of guys who had trained with me. Sure. Uh, clients and friends and they definitely supported me when i first yeah uh, and do you keep in touch with that guy who bought it you still oh yeah yeah one of my knives one of my knives is named after him yeah and what uh does he still have it does he still have that knife oh i'm sure he does this guy never sells anything he buys (laughs) okay (laughs) very cool i mean that that's good that you and do you keep track of everybody who buys your knives as well so you've got like yes like a uh, pedigree of <laughs> for your knives yep. kind of deal. Yep. That's that's cool. So to date, how many have you sold? If that's something you want um, to disclose. If you don't want to disclose that, I that's don't fine. Know the, I don't know the exact number, but I just looked up the other day. I just looked up for what I've done in this year so far, and it's about uh, – I was about 223 – uh, blades since January 1st of this so, year of this year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And now, are, no, go ahead. A, a lot of those are my shivs. 
So, you know, they're, they're a, a smaller, you know, less time consuming. Right. And uh, we're going to talk about your shivs. I want to talk about those because we're going to be giving away one of those today to one of our lucky yeah. listeners. Um, one of your shivs. Uh, but are you, are you making, like, I'm, I'll make a batch of shivs or I'll make a batch of these and then I'll put them up and then just first come, first serve. Or are you getting custom people say, hey, I want you to make me a whatever? I, that's a great question. I, I, I know it's going to sound weird. I, I hate taking orders. So unless I know that I'm going to be here in Texas for a while and I have the time to do it, because like if I take an order from somebody, it, it always seems like, man, if I went two hours over the, the freaking date that I said I was going to have it out, then I start catching flack. Right. So I try not to take a bunch of orders. So I'll like with the shivvies now, my deal, I have a couple of dealers. I have free wind defense and BDS tactical, and that's where you buy my shivvies. So if you go, um, that I, I don't do a lot of orders for shivvies because I can't keep them in stock. And when I'm sending them out to my dealers, you know, they're, they're ordering in 10 or 20 or more, you know, batches of 10 or 20 or more. So I can do a blanket order of just like, okay, I can commit to this many shivvies, get it out of the way, ship them out and it's done. Versus if I'm trying to sell them myself, I have to play, guess which color handle the customer wants and guess which this and guess which that. And my dealers just buy them in bulk. And then I just try to refer them to my dealers and that's on the shivvies. Okay. That's strictly the shivvies that you're doing. Yes. I don't, bulk I don't orders. sell any of my knives, any of my, my actual traditional knives to dealers. I just don't have the margins to, to do it. Right. Now those type, like the, the carvers, Right. Scanners, stabbies, the fighters. Um, so you're just making those just at will. It's like I'm going to yeah, make like, one of these uh, today, and I'll put it up for sale. And a lot of the times, I will take some orders on some things. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on the time of the year. Like I'm going to put up a post here pretty soon that basically says. Hey, if you want a knife guaranteed delivered by Christmas, I need to have your deposit in by October 15th because this year I'm not working, you know, the 21st, 22nd, 23rd of December trying to get a knife out to you because you waited till the last minute. Sure. So I'll take some orders there. But for the most part, I like I also I have to keep some sort of insurance policy for me. So I'll make a bunch of knives and put them up on Facebook or put them up on the website. And if, if they don't all sell, I don't really care because I then put those in a reserve and I, I have to have 50, 60 blades in stock in a stash. Cause if I get, if I break my arm, I need to still be able to sell some knives when I won't be able to make them. Right. So I have a, a reserve of knives and stuff. So when I put them up for sale and they don't sell, it's fine. I'll sell them at a show. They'll sell eventually, uh, you know, whatever it is. So it's it's worked out so far. So on your and website, if our listeners go to shop now, those would be the ones that they could buy right now? Yes. That are for sale? The, the hardest 
part right now, and and I'm I'm probably about a week away from this. Is in about a week, my merchant account will be set up so that they can literally buy it right off the website. Because right now, I don't have the merchant account set up. Okay, so, so if they want to buy uh, one now, they, they need to email me. Just email you, and then work out yeah. some kind of a, uh, a Venmo or something like that. Yeah, like Zelle or I mean, I can still run a credit card, um, uh, but uh, I like Zelle the best. Okay. But uh, if we have to run credit cards or, or whatever, you know, that's what that's kind of fine. materials are you using on your handles? And I guess you probably use different materials for different types of blades. Yeah. So G10 is probably my favorite. Uh, G10 is like a compressed fiberglass composite that's super, super strong. It's very easy to work with. Uh, it comes in a, a total assortment of colors and you know, so that one right there is G10. Uh, that's probably my favorite. It's not that expensive uh, on the customers. And once you start getting into like the custom wood and hybrid composites and stuff, you know, you're talking about uh, a handle that costs six, seven, eight, ten times more than the G10 does. And so it adds to the cost of the blade. And I'm trying to, right. you know, obviously I want to make money on my knives, but I'm also, my goal is to try to have a not a really good knife that's pretty affordable for you know to the to the average person you know 200 bucks to some people is a lot of money to spend on a knife and i agree sure. uh you know but at the same time it's like all right that to make that knife right there that you're looking at you know let's tell I our listeners have, what i'm looking at uh that's called the md that's named after a, a buddy of mine that's the md stabby and so the stabby stabby line just means that it's a seven inch overall knife. So anything that says stabby, it doesn't matter the profile of it. It's seven inches long overall. So it's a good everyday carry knife. Okay. And that's your um, definition. That's my definition. Yeah. 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 And you know, uh, there's a shiv and the, the shivs are made primarily the AS Chevy is primarily made to be ran in a Molly, a Molly loop, uh, vertical Molly column on a plate carrier. So it takes up almost no real estate on your vest. But if you need some sort of devastating flesh separating tool, you know, that's, that's a good choice. Right. And talk about the Chevy. So basically the Chevy derived from the, the, the OSS, SOE um, dagger or shiv that they wore like when they jump into France to hook up with the French resistance, they, they had a, a dagger that had no cutting edge on it. It was just for, for, for stabbing. Mm -hmm. And it was basically made to, to be able to penetrate like the leather jacket on a German uniform and be able to take his, you know, do a battlefield recovery take his weapons take his gear and and link up with the french resistance and and it was a, an undercover you know low profile dagger and my original ones that i made uh did not have a cutting edge on them they were just a point and then some guys are like hey i you know it's hard to open up an mre uh you know with without a cutting edge so i started putting a two inch there's only a two inch cutting edge on the shivs and the reason for that too is if your hand, if the weapon hits bone 
and your hand slips up forward because of how narrow it is, you can't put a guard on it. So it keeps your hand from getting, you know, slicing your, your fingers and stuff like that. Right. So it's just a low profile, slim line, you know, get to it with either hand on my plate carrier type weapon. Very and they're cool. very, very popular. Like I don't even have one really here to even show because they're just, I, I can't make them fast yeah. enough. Well, they're on your website and you got them on your yeah. uh, social media page too. And I, for our viewing audience, I just pulled them up and uh, you got a really good look at them there. So talk about your fighters. What's uh, what's your, what, what defines your fighters? So my fighters are basically going to be uh, right at around 10 inches overall. So still not a real big knife, but, you know, big enough to where, you know, they're not just a, a, a small everyday carry type of knife. So usually generally about 10 inches overall. Uh, you know, everybody thinks that you have to have this really big knife to be able to do damage. And it's just a misconception. You do not have to have a big knife to do a lot of damage. And so having something in the, in the 10 inch overall range to me is about the perfect size knife, mm -hmm. uh, you know, four and a half, give or take four and a half inch handle, you know, five and a half inch, six inch blade is, is more than enough to do just about everything that you could possibly need it to do. There you have the Kukri. That's one of the larger knives that I make. You know, the Kukri is about 15 inches overall, uh, I believe. And I kept the traditional Kukri shape of the blade profile, but I changed the handle from what the Nepalese do. Mm -hmm. But, uh, that's the biggest one that I make right now. And they all have, well, not all, the, the Smatchet doesn't have one, but you got like JW Smatchet. You've got the JB Kirky, the EB Shear. Are these right. friends all named after friends of yours? They're all named after friends. The Smatchet actually used to have the name of a friend. He was the, he was a, he was a, uh, he was a guy I'd known for a while that asked me to make him a smash it. And so I named him to smash it after him. And then he ordered another one and I sent it to him and he ghosted me and never paid me for it. So <laughs> Dude. I took his name off of it. Jack yeah. wagon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, they're all named after friends uh, or family members. Nice. As kind of a little, you know, thank tribute. you to the a little tribute. Sure. Very cool. No, these are really good looking, good looking knives, man. I'm just, I'm look, I'm going through looking through the fighters right now. Um, yeah, I really like the the MV fighter. That's yeah, the MV, the MV is super popular right now. I've been making those a lot more than I normally did, and uh, they're it's a mean, mean blade. Yeah, yeah. Talk about the design uh, on this one. So basically, what I did on this is it's got a Tonto type tip. But I wanted to put a little bit of a of an inward curve uh, on the cutting edge side of it, which allows the blade to have a real big uh, initial wound channel. So from the tip, from the tip of the point down to the tip of where the the, the main bevel uh, starts at that. 45 degree looking angle mm -hmm. from the tip of the blade down to where the main bevel starts. You, you've got a real high 
a real high wound channel. So here's an MV fighter right here. Stand okay. by. Let me uh, switch screens here. Okay. I was trying to get a real close up, but there you got one right there. So that works out. Okay. okay so, so here's an MV. And so from the tip here Love that. to the tip here. Okay. So that would that be the Tonto? Got, the Tonto? It's, it's, it's basically a Tonto. Yeah. It allows me to have a big height here. So my wound channel is almost two inches from here to here. Okay. Yeah. But what I do when I, when I do the curve on the belly is it's taking a little bit of the weight and size out of the blade, but then it also acts as a sharp impact point here that if I did slash for whatever reason, this is definitely digging into you hard. Yeah. If this was just a little bit straighter, cause this comes down and almost becomes its own point. Right. And then when I do the hollow grinds, that takes weight out right here. Toward the back then, of the blade. Yeah. And then on my grind here, what that does is that keeps the tip and the initial wound channel thicker. So if I, if I ground this part down here all the way up, and for our listeners, talk, talk about when you're saying this part and, and that part. Sorry. If I, if I, so you see my grind here that goes up the Tonto point. Right. Okay. If I would, if I ground that all the way up like a traditional Tonto to where it's ground all the way up to the spine up here, mm -hmm. what that would do is this point right here would be the same thickness all the way back. It here. elongates so my, your point. My tip would be a lot weaker. Weaker, yeah. You know, yeah. than than what it is. It almost looks so, like hold it hold that up again. Uh it almost looks like a shark's tooth. Um yeah. where the initial point, the tanto point is and it goes back and, and kind of opens yep. up. Uh it almost looks like a shark's tooth. It to me it's it's a great size fighting knife it's not super big but it's not super small and this is made out of uh, stainless steel and then what i do i haven't engraved it yet um what i do is i bead blast the stainless finish to mat it so that it just gives it that gray look instead of the shiny look yeah so this is actually stainless steel so it'll hold up pretty good against the the rust nice and and weather and stuff yeah and that was a g10 handle on that one G10 handle. Yep. So how are you going in and shaping your, um, cause you've got patterns on your G10. So what, what inspires you to, to do the grip pattern on a, on a G10? Yeah. So the, it's pretty popular in the knife world right now with, with what guys are doing. It's, it's basically, it's called scalloping. And basically what you're doing is you're, I just use a Dremel tool basically and I'm able to, to put the scallops in it. And what that does is, you know, it's like a fluted barrel. The fluted barrel takes weight off the gun, but it also creates surface area, right? So if you measured the circumference of a barrel and a fluted barrel, the fluted barrel is going to be lighter and have more circum more surface area if you measured it. So same concept, if you're going to hold on to a knife, 
the, it's like a gun. The more you can grip it and have surface contact, the more control you're going to have with it. And the scalloping gives you a little, you know, takes a little bit of weight off it, probably a minuscule amount of weight because of, of the material that it is. Yeah. But it creates more surface. Gives you a positive grip. Hand. Absolutely. Gives you a positive looks, grip on it. And it looks cool. And some guys don't like it. And yeah. that's why, you know, I do on some of these, I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I won't do, I don't do scalloping. You know, there'll just be a, a, a smooth finish yeah. on it. And the thing is, is like with this knife right here, this MD, if somebody wants this knife, but they were like, man, I just wish it was scalloped. Okay. I can scallop it. It's no problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost, I'm basically at the point right now where I would scallop it if I was going to scallop it. And do you have a certain, when you say you're, you scallop it, is everything Every scallop unique and different, or do you have yeah, a certain it, I mean, it'll, pattern? It'll come, it can come close, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be like completely replicated. Okay, um, I didn't know if you had like a, a, a stencil or something that you could put on, and you could get the exact no, same no, cut no. every time. So or? I do. I mean, I do. Let's see if we can see these. So like these all look a little bit different, but. Basically, what I'm doing, what I wanted to do on my knives is I do everything freehand. I don't use any jigs, any guides. There's guides that you can buy that you can secure your knife into and run it on your belt and get a beautiful grind. I do all mine freehand. I do all my handlework freehand um, with Dremel and, and you know chainsaw files and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, all of my... Um, all of my, I guess you'd call jimping, uh, all of that mm -hmm. little girls that I put on the, on the spine on the there. Spine. I just do it all freehand. And, you know, I, I want the customer to have something that's, that's unique, even if it's just one little difference. I mean, I, I see how the knife world is and there's companies that I don't have to make this knife. I can send this right here to a company and have it made for me, start to finish. Just give them your specs. Yep, I just send them the specs. They'll they'll do it all for me. I there's companies that will do your handles and have all the work done to where you get it. All you have to do is slap it on there. And but my thing right now, at least, is with the, with the number of knives that I'm making and everything, is I want to be a knife maker, not a knife manufacturer. And it's, it's not to knock the guys that are manufacturing a knife, but at the end of the day, if, if somebody, some other company, not my employee or me is just making this exact knife for me with this exact handle and it's just start to finish done by them. I'm just like a broker basically. Yeah. And I'm not making the knife. So that's, that's, well, kind of how you know, I'm that's the thing too is, and, and at some point, you know, all the knife makers, I guess, if they get to a certain degree of fame or successfulness uh that you have to make that decision because you can only make so many at a time and if somebody right. wants one of your knives then at some point some people have to make a decision to you know right i mean for instance buck knives yeah you know they, they manufacture knives they have machines and processes that that absolutely cut and and and, and there's nothing wrong with that and they make great knives right. And that's one I want to, this is one I want to talk to you about here. I'll, I'll talk to you about that one in a minute. But, but when Buck started making knives, they were doing it by the hand. Buck, the Buck family 
was making knives because they knew how to make knives. I guess my point is, is like anybody with a couple thousand bucks can send specs off to, to some third party and be like, Hey, make this knife for me. Cause I want to sell them. And I have, you know, Texas knives or whatever sure. is my company. And now they're going around saying they're a knife maker. You're not a knife maker. If you don't know how to make a knife, you're, you're a not designer. a designer. You're a knife designer. Yeah. yeah. Of course, Buck, Buck has to do that. They sell tens of thousands, so if not more millions knives a year, yeah, they, but somebody at Buck knows how to make a knife. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's CJ, the owner, you know, it, yeah. his dad I was mean, the, that's what their whole family his lineage granddad. Was. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that that's neither here nor there. I was just saying at some point, that's the differentiation is like between a knife maker because you're actually making them yourself. Yeah, I can't make two of these that that are just one hundred percent identical. There's going to yeah. be scalloping difference. There's going to be something that's going to be like a, a thumbprint. Each one's going to be different. It's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. But like, what what model is that buck that you have there? So this is this is a new one. This this hasn't hit the market yet. They are only making these for special forces right now. So do you nice. remember the Buckmaster? You remember the original yeah. Buckmaster? This is the yeah. this is the Buckmaster two so this is their combat diver knife. Gotcha. So this is just being made for the SEAL teams right now. And nice. uh, I was lucky enough to get one. I helped in the original design and concept and all that process of it. So they sent me nice. one. So it's got this, um, they call this the anchor wing Yeah. that attaches to it. So... Um, a lot of people, you know, back in the day, the the original ones, they had that those two little pointy things that what was the, the buck one. People were using like them as like or... grappling hooks or you know yeah. whatever. Uh, but the thing, no, about I think it this I is it has a specific it... use. You know, it's got a specific use, a specific utility yeah. for it, and it's used to anchor their boats. So it's used as an anchor to when they, you know, underwater got to post their boats or coming to shore. Right. Anchor the boat. They use it to to anchor their boats with. But then and it's a Batman, complete. Batman was going to carry a knife. That's a knife, <laughs> right? It's it's an it's an awesome knife. Yeah, that's pretty slick. It's very cool. But uh, those are coming yeah, see, to the I, civilian I, population probably uh, next year. I think they're going to release them at at the next shot show for the civilian market. Yeah, and so, you know something like that. Like I just I, I'm not going to. I can't make stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like that has to be made the exact same way for every single one of those right. blades. It has to right. be identical. But it's a full tang. Yeah. Right. I, I love it. But yeah, you could you could make great. one. You could make these. It's just they're going to be a lot, a lot slower for you to make. And well, well, I could make one of those, but what I'm saying is like to keep the specs yeah. the same, everything on that has to be water jet and the specs have to be completely refined and this you know and that's where that's where the manufacturer that's when it has to be manufactured. i can't make a hundred of those that, that would have the little anchors fitting in perfect and doing right. all that you know it just it wouldn't it's just not doable for yeah. you know that's what's great about those those knives and stuff and the way that they're manufacturing those is they're right. they're they have to be that way you know for the guy that's carrying everyday carry knife he wants something a little different the Kiltec KSG410 is the perfect sidekick with no kick. 
At just over an inch and a half wide, just over 26 inches long, and just over 5 pounds, you'll be hard-pressed to find a more impressive 410 bore shotgun. In fact, it's the world's first and only pump-action 410 bore bullpup shotgun. The side-by-side dual feeding tubes and one in the chamber delivers an impressive 11 round total capacity, making it as functional as it is fun. Innovation. Performance. Kiltech. Now, it's time for the Talking Lead Facts to Fight the Myths. Okay. And um, as a knife maker, I'm sure there's probably things that you hear people say or maybe some misconceptions that they have about custom knife makers. And I think we just went over a great one right there as far as a knife maker right. versus a manufacturer. Are there any other or myths out there about custom knife makers that you'd like to dispel? I think kind of the, the main topic lately is like knife steel has become like computers in 2005. Every three or five months, there's some new steel version that's come out that's the flavor of the week. And because of that, a lot of people just like shun or don't give credit to the original steels that were used to make knives for hundreds of years. Right. So like, for instance, I've had people tell me, oh, well, that knife's made out of 1095 steel. 1095 steel is old steel. And it's just not, you know, it's just not that great a steel and it needs to be made out of magna cut or, you know, S 35 or three V or something like that. And so they'll almost kind of like not even give it a chance because it's made out of this type of steel. But then if I take that 1095 and I add layers of 15 and 20 and I make Damascus out of it, they're like, oh my gosh, that, that knife's amazing. You know, and <laughs> right. it's like, dude, the, the most important thing about making a knife is the heat treat process. And if it's done right, it doesn't matter what steel you use. And for if the heat treat isn't done right, then the steel's worthless. And so if you have, there, there are steel that will, will be more corrosion resistant. There's steel that will hold a better edge. There's steel that's easier to sharpen. Okay. At the end of the day, does that end user most, will he most, he or she most likely even notice the difference? Probably not. If you maintain your stuff, it's going to last you, knives will last you hundreds of years, right? But that's why Thousands you use different steels because it depends on what the, the, the utility of the knife is is going to be for. So yeah, if I'm using it, if I'm doing a dive knife, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there, there's steel that kitchen I want to use. knife versus you know a Skinner versus uh you know whatever it may be. Yeah, but like if you talk like for me, and this is just my opinion, like I don't like Damascus kitchen knives. I think it's it's just not. I think they're beautiful but you're dipping them in ferric acid to get the stain to come out. Okay. And now you're cutting food with it. Food is also a lot of food is acidic. So it patinas high carbon steel. So like for me, my kitchen knives are stainless Yeah. because a kitchen knife to me should be able to withstand what wetness, acid, all sorts of stuff. Um, so that's, that's my personal preference. A Skinner, 
Skinner, kind of the same thing. I don't necessarily want to be skinning my animal with a knife that has ferric acid all over it and contaminating. It's not food grade at that point. You know, a lot of guys are using vinegar or coffee and it, but it doesn't last, you know, that, that doesn't stay on there. So for me, this, the chef knives and the skinners stainless steel, most of the steel I use is a specific stainless steel for my kitchen knives and my skinners. Everyday carry knives. Yeah. That's where you get into the whole, well, I want this, 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 or this. And the difference in price is, is pretty amazing. And there's a big difference between some of the steel prices. Sure. Yeah. I mean, things cost. Things have a cost associated with them. So if you want a certain type of a metal, you'd be prepared to pay for it. Yeah. And, and you got to ask yourself, are, does it even make a difference for what you're using it for? Would you know the difference between the Magna cut and the S 35 VN? If I just gave you those two knives. And how would you know the difference? I, I don't know. I, I'm not real familiar with Magna. I've never made anything out of Magna Cut, but I've made stuff out of S35. And and I guess what I'm saying is if I if I made one from S35 VN and one out of Magna Cut and you went out and did the same things with them for the same amount of time, would you be like, man, this one just absolutely outperformed no. this one yeah. for the price difference that you paid for it? You know? Right. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. There's knife snobs just like there are gun snobs, and I'm not knocking them. I, I, I'm a gun snob, and sure. You know, so, you know, you you got to make what the customer wants. You like what you like, and it, you yeah, need to like make the, no like tattoo, apologies man. for it. The, ta- the tattoo artist doesn't have to like the tattoo. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. The, the customer needs to. I've heard a lot yeah. of complaints on that. It's funny. That's why I laugh, because... Uh, I know a couple of people who have gotten tattoos recently that absolutely hate their tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's that's part of the risk of it, everybody. <laughs> exactly. That's why I don't have any tattoos. Uh, got no complaints about my tattoos. Exactly. So you're you're talking about the heat treating uh, process. Talk about how you go and and you heat treat your knives. Um. So. Like I said earlier, you can do coal forge, propane, or kiln for the most part. And the heat treating all depends on the exact steel that you're using. So, and it's not just high carbon steel or stainless steel. And why do you, and for our novice, why do you heat treat? What is heat treating? Heat treating is basically, so your, your heat treat process can involve several steps depending on how you made that knife. So if you are uh, if you are hammer forging or doing Damascus and you're heating it up to such high temperatures that the the grain structure inside is growing because of how much you've stressed out that steel from the heat and the impact, then you have to do what's called normalizing. You have to get that grain structure back to normal. So you would normalize and or even anneal it and and normalize it and then actually do the the heat treating where you're actually going and quenching the blade so carbon steel for instance is you have two types of high or you have two types of carbon steel you have basically high carbon steel and you have low or medium carbon steel which basically equates to hardenable or unhardenable so high carbon steel is hardenable 
low carbon steel, you're not really going to get any hardness out of it. And what the hardness is, is heating it up to a specific temperature and quenching it in oil, water. And what that does is it immediately hardens that steel and almost to the point to where it's very brittle. It, it could actually break very easy. And so what you have to do then is you have to temper that steel and you're actually taking the hardness out to give it that little bit of flexibility and things like that. So the blade isn't the blade until it's been heat treated. If that all I was, makes sense. No, that's, I was looking to see if you had a video uh, where you were doing something. Um, I don't know if I have a video on there or not. That's yeah. weird. Huh. So basically like on fours and fire where they heat up the steel and they throw it in the oil and they're quenching it. That's immediately taken that blade from like 1500 plus degrees to like 700 in like a second. So it's, it's, it's hardening it. And then you have to temper it to where you're taking it out. That's just a video. That's a video of a, of a test I did on it. I don't know if I have any, I thought I might've had a quench video on there, but maybe I don't. Yeah, yeah I guess not. You've got the acid uh, etching one. We'll show that one here. Just so, and so by hardening it, you're, you're making that knife true. But the problem is, is if, if you go higher in temperature above what that steel is not meant to be quenched at, you could have major problems where it's actually weakened. And so your, your heat treat process is, is absolutely important. Yeah. And that's the thing you know, that we, uh, if you watch Forge and Fire, I, mean, I hate keep going back to Forge and Fire, but that's probably what most people can relate to is you right. know, that seems to be where they always have the problems is is the heat treating that if their knife fails it's because the they didn't properly heat treat it right yeah yeah absolutely and that's where the kiln comes in handy because i can say okay this steel needs to be 1525 degrees for 10 minutes so i type in 1525 degrees for 10 minutes hit start and boom it just does it, and then I quench at that point. When you're using a propane or a coal forge, you're you're you have a pyrometer where you're trying to guess the you know play guess what temperature it's at, and those things aren't 100 percent accurate. Right. And you know to hold that temperature for that amount of time is almost impossible. Now, do you have a so after you've made your blades and to te test the integrity of your blades, what what do you put them through to test them? So like generally what I do is if I have a, if I have a new batch of steel, so like say I get a new batch of 80 CRV2 in, I'll take, I'll take pieces of that and I'll heat treat it just like I would my knives. And I basically do, I'll do a snap test where I'll, I'll put it in the quench or I'll put it in the oil. And remember what I said, it, it gets really brittle. So then what I do is I can put it in a vise and I can snap it and look at the grain structure and just make sure that my grain structure is good. And I do that for every batch. And then I write on it the date, the time, the exact formula that I used. And then I put it in, the, I have this big bin of broken pieces of steel. Every once in a while, I take a knife and actually break it and snap it and, and stuff. Uh, you know, I'll hit some bones and stuff. I don't do it with every knife and I, and the steel that I buy is is from a very, very good source. So it's all been very, very consistent with the, the heat treat recipe that I have. 
has been very consistent. So, you know, it's not, uh, I don't have to go out and break a knife every time I make one just to see that it, that it works. So, yeah. So of, of the batches that you've sold and, and put out there, uh, you ever had one returned any issues? I, yeah, I had one of the first MD stabbies, uh, that I sold, uh, to the guy that it was named after he, he like, he was running it on, I think, I don't know if he was running it on his neck at the time or on his belt. And he said he dropped it and like the tip, uh, broke. It landed tip first on the concrete and the tip broke. Yeah. And so he sent it, he sent it back to me and I, and I fixed it. It was super easy fix. It wasn't like a big break. And okay, that's it how was much one of the it. first MDs that I did. So this is an MD stabby. Right. And it was one of the first MDs that I did. And this grind line went all the way across. So like I said earlier, if, if this part here is ground to the same height that I am here, it's going to be much thinner and weaker tip. And so that's why I actually started putting that on there. Now that, that one in particular, if, if the, if the viewers watch, there's three videos to that. If you watch what had to take place for me to even get that tip to break, good. Let me replay that. <clears throat> okay, right. that's how much of the so that, blade was yeah. in the vise. So, so this is the third video that I did because I didn't want the videos to be crazy long. But basically what I wanted to do is I wanted to break the blade in half. And I put it in a vise. So this is the last video where I actually got it to finally break. The videos before it, I'm trying to break the the knife. I'm trying to break the tip. I literally have a quarter inch of the blade in a vise and I'm pulling on it and pulling on it. You can watch the blade it flexing and flexing and it goes back to true. And this is only a three inch blade. Right. So there's only, three, there's only three inches of, of cutting edge um, on that. And it was pretty impressive that it, it took me as long as it did to get the blade to actually break. <laughs> So you guys so can go to his Facebook the, page, and do you have a YouTube channel? Is that where these videos? No, are? I don't. Okay, so go to your Facebook page, and he's got some. Yeah, okay, I have a Craig Staley Stabby. And my mouse is working here. I'm trying to turn the volume down. Um, so there's one of you doing a little. Is it acid etching? Yeah, that's an acid etching. Yeah. Yeah. So you're dipping it in, and you're going to get that. So this is Damascus. Is that what this one is? That is, yeah, that's a sandmine Damascus, yeah. And that's, you know, that brings up, you know, the sandmine and all the different types of ways to, is it, I guess, to to forge, not really forge, but to, to bring the metals together that you're... Right. Talk about talk about some, the different styles and the ones that you use. So I, I like sandmine. Damascus is really cool, and it has very pretty patterns. Um, sandmine to me is one of the cooler ones because it's, it's easier to make so I can make more sandmine blades. It's less money to sell. So the guy that, or the girl that wants like a really cool looking knife that has like definitive, uh, contrast points and everything through the blade, it's just, it makes for a really beautiful blade. And basically what sandmine means is you're taking two different types of steel and it's it's three pieces so i would have my 
my I could have my high carbon steel in the center, and then these two pieces on the outside could be mild steel um, or a different type of steel with a higher nickel uh, concentration or uh, content. And I'm I'm heating them up to about 22, 2300 degrees. And then I'm pressing, I'm compressing them in with a hydraulic press and basically getting all three of these to, to be forged welded together to be one piece. Then what happens is when I grind my bevels, I'm grinding those outside layers that I had sandwiched the high carbon steel in the center and it exposes the high carbon steel on the inside, but it keeps the mild steel on the outside up by the spine. So if you're using it for like hitting, like mild steel will bend, hardenable steel will break for the most part. Right. So if I have them combined, I have the mild steel on the outside that's absorbing a lot of shock and impact. So it's not gonna necessarily break nearly as easy as that high, if it was just high carbon steel. Gotcha. If, that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. It does to me. <laughs> and so like, here's, here's that knife that I showed you in the quench. This was the first Damascus knife that I ever made. Oh, okay. And, cool. Okay. So you see how the Damascus is up, is up here. Up toward the and spine. And then I have a layer of, I have a, I have a layer of nickel. Yeah. And then down here is all black. And what I did was I took two pieces of Damascus and then I put a piece of high carbon in the center with the nickel layer and I sandmined those together. So when I, so when I would grind out, trying to get the angle right, when I grind this bevel out, it exposes the high carbon center but it still keeps the Damascus. And it's basically, this is a sand my Damascus, basically. Okay. And that little, that little nickel line going down the center there, that doesn't, that doesn't um, give it a weak point or anything like that. No, no. Now, if the nickel was on the, the cutting edge, that would be bad because it can't, it's not hard. Right. Soft. It would, yeah. It's, you would be able to keep an edge. Look. It's more for looks, but yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So the San Mai is your, your kind of preferred. Do you do I like San Mai. Yeah. I, I think the San Mai gives you a cool contrasting look, but still the, the average person, you know, doesn't have to fork over, you know, 600 bucks for it. Yeah. What are the other ways? I mean, I, I have, I've the Damascus, I, I definitely have been doing, uh, you know, more of the Damascus. Here's, here's another, uh, Damascus. I'm trying to get the lighting right in here. Oh, but, look, it's showing up. Yeah. Um, this is a dagger I did. Yeah, I like that. It's sharp. And uh, for the most part, my stuff is all basically, you know, it's mo it's what you call mono steel. It, it's one it's one piece of steel. It's I usually use stainless or uh, high carbon. Yeah. Um, I try to be. I try to have a distinct look and I, I want to, you know, it's hard. Knives have been around for thousands of years. So for Jared Johnson, the new knife maker to come out and get his own look is not an easy thing to do. Right. <laughs> Cause it's already been done a, a thousand times. Right. Yeah. It's like how many people, how many gun companies are making an AR 15? They're all an AR 15. They just have a little bit of different stuff on it. Yeah. So 
you know, I try to, I try to do stuff that makes sense. Um, here is, uh, this is the CJ Skinner. This is named after my dad. Uh, this is a skinning, uh, a skinning knife. Uh, basically if you look, I put almost like a downward swooping guard that kind of gives you reference to where your fingers are when you're inside of an animal doing the skinning process. Because what happens is anybody that's gutted an animal, you've, you've cut your little booger hooks when yeah. they get away from you on there. <laughs> uh, the other thing I do is if I had, I wish I had a flashlight, but I put two cat eyes. There's a cat eye there and a cat eye there and they're basically glow in the dark. So if you're oh, gutting really? out an elk in low light, I can, and I need to pull on the guts. I can set my knife down, pull on some guts and still reference where my knife is. Cause the cat eyes will be lit up. I needed uh, that on my last uh, skinner because yeah. I laid it down and I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> and so for the guys that know what it's like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Patriot Ordnance Factory. Yeah, POF. 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 So I, I used to be very, very close friends with the owner, Frank DeSoma. Yeah, I've uh, had Frank on in. the, Frank was on the show um, a couple of years ago, obviously before he passed. Um, yeah. But yeah, what, great guy. One of my best friends. I love him. I worked for him. I've hunted with him. Uh, this is the FD stabby. So this is the Frank DeSoma stabby. Oh, nice. Uh, I do it with the Patriot Curanite handles because Frank was a big Patriot. So I do the, the red, white, and the blue pins, um, you know, for Frank. So yeah. hopefully he'd be, he'd be proud of this. Oh, absolutely. You need to uh, go nice. back and listen to that episode I did with him. It was a good one. Was, I will now that I funny. know. <laughs> I, I miss hearing his voice. We had a good time. It was a good time. So um, let's do some listener questions now. Okay. Um, and these are all going to be from Instagram because I didn't make a post on Facebook. I know you did on your Facebook page. So if you've got any questions, we'll be happy to to field those too. And okay. this is how you're going to be eligible to win the, the shibby yeah. that yeah. Jared is giving away today. And we're also going to be giving away Mission First Tactical Dump Tray and a Seal 1, Seal 1 and Done, for all your gun cleaning, knife cleaning, and protection needs. Go to seal1.com, use the code LEADHEAD, get 25% off. As I'm stalling. One of my knives, they will they will have Seal 1 on them somewhere. That's okay. all I use on those. Very nice. All right, let's go to the post. Pull it up here. And as I'm reading this, this is uh, 1.15 p.m. on, what is today? The second. The second. If you haven't, if you your comment isn't in, then and you put it in after, then you'll know we already recorded, and that's why we didn't, you weren't entered. Bobus1776, Jared. What do you feel is more important in blade geometry? The type of point, the type of grind, or thickness? What grind do you prefer? Thanks. And those blades fall into the badassery category. Well, I appreciate him saying that and asking that question. It's kind of a hard question to answer, only because it would, to, to sort of answer his question, it would depend on the purpose of the knife that you're looking to have be used. So like if you have a skinner versus a kukri, you know, uh, I use a lot of hollow grind. 
Uh, hollow grind is a method that takes a lot of steel off of the knife as you're grinding it. Mm -hmm. So here's an example of, of a hollow grind. If you feel this, if you ran your finger from here to the spine, you would feel that it, it's concave. It, it goes deeper right here because I'm using the wheel, the point of the wheel to actually grind this out. So it's, it's going in deeper. It's deeper right here than it is right here or up here. So from the, from the blade to the, to the center to of the, the knife. Yep. To the center. It, it, it's deeper right here. And then it flares back out going toward the it spine. It flares back out and you get basically an apple seed type edge that's kind of shaped like this, essentially. Gotcha. Um, and the nice thing about a hollow grind is, you know, when you're when you're talking about, uh, you know, a knife like like a kukri, okay. The kukri, I do a hollow grind on the kukri as well. And part of the reason why I do that is I have this much blade up here, and I have spine. this much handle. So I'm I'm looking at being blade heavy, right? Regardless on my balance, right? It it wants it wants to go forward, right? Because it's a chopper, so, right? Because it's a chopper, but it's also a fight. I mean, people don't realize that a kukri is meant for stabbing. If you look at a, the way that a kukri is shaped, mm -hmm. it's the perfect stabbing weapon because instead of it going here, it angles here. So if I'm stabbing something that's not angled, my wrist has to be like this. If I'm stabbing something that's angled out like this, I can almost bring it down almost like I'm shooting a pistol. Yeah. Right. So by being able to go into that deep hollow grind, I'm taking weight off the blade. If I was using a flat platen grind, I can't go deeper than that flat platen is. So the hollow grind allows me to go deep right inside the center of where I'm grinding. So I prefer the hollow grind for most uh, things. The edge geometry, yeah, if I'm uh, – most of my stuff I do like an apple seed type type finish on it. So that, that's a really good question. It, I just wish I could give him a better answer because it kind of depends on what he wants. Depends to on what you're play. making, yeah. Yeah. Uh, come out and play. What's the best steel for a beginner to start out with? Um, the best steel is probably 1084, uh, which is just a, a standard high carbon steel. It has about 80 plus percent carbon in it. And it's good because it's, it's less money and you basically heat it up to about 1475 degrees, give or take, and it doesn't require a soak time. So if you just have a, a propane forge, you can heat it up to about 1,475, maybe 1,500 degrees, and then instantly quench it. It doesn't have to sit at that temperature for 10 minutes. So like 1095 has to sit for about 10 minutes at that temperature for it to truly be heat treated properly. So 1084 is probably the best. Yeah, I would say mainly because of the, the cost too, because as you're just beginning, you're going to yeah. make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and 1084 is awesome steel. It's really good steel. BMC 350, what are the differences in blade characteristics between one of your skinners and a carver? What characteristics make a carver less desirable, if any, for using as a skinner? 
And then he goes on, and we, we answered this. I see the knives available now on your website if I'm interested in a certain model. Should I watch your website or contact you and commission a knife? Great-looking knives, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah he can, he can con- anyone can contact me. I think my, my all my information is up on the, the website. So the differences between the Skinners and the Carvers is the Carvers are going to be bigger. They're basically the same blade thickness, the same type of stainless steel, uh, but the carver is is bigger. So the the uh, the carver would be really good. I I use it for deboning when I'm doing my skinning as well. If I'm going to debone the animal, the carver is really good. But the carver is going to be a lot bigger. So guys that are backpacking up into Montana, you know, they're going to want to have something like this versus something that's this big because they're drilling holes in toothpicks to try to save weight because of the elevation and, and equipment that they're carrying. Yeah. Um, could you use the carver as a skinner? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could. I mean, I, I have, I have a buddy that does. Um, I've used it as a deboner. Do you have a carver there? I don't, don't uh, I don't have a carver here. Okay. Unfortunately, <clears throat> but you can go to his website. He's got them up there. Yes. Um, and then if you want to, yeah, if you want to buy one of his knives, he's got them there on the website that are available and, um, uh, you can email him or DM you on Instagram. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Either one. And again, give your, give your email address. What's your email address? Oh, uh, JJ blades at gmail.com. And it's, it's on the website. It's on all my social medias as well. There you go. Uh, Ryan Reisner, what were you doing before you started bladesmithing full-time? We talked about that. Were you always into pocket knives and blades as you were growing up? That's a good question. What What was your very first knife you can remember owning? I think it was one of those like little, like, um, like I think it was made by Sabre. It was one of those little, like, just folding lockout knives with the little thumb button on the back. Yeah. You know? something little and then of course like swiss army knives for sure uh any 110s or anything like that from from Buck? no no didn't have any of those um and you're from you said you grew up and you were born in california yeah gotcha northern california which is still northern california still somewhat yeah. free somewhat yeah Let's see. B. Hurst, 87. Can we get a material list like what metals you use and what the grips are made of and the pins? Love those straight yep. edge blades. Looks very clean. And I second the bayonet option. I guess somebody recommended oh. you doing a bayonet. Um, uh, well, thank you for the compliment. And I, for my high carbon steel, I usually use 80 CRV2. And for my stainless steel, a lot of it is AEBL or S35VN. And then most of my handles is all G10 and as with my pins. So uh, these pins right here are actually G10 pins. I just buy different colors so that it matches the uh, – sometimes I put a spacer in between the blade and the main handle. And I try to get the pins to match that. So G- G10 is is mainly – what I use Pacific Northwesterner. Uh, I'm an AK guy. We do this segment. I told you it's called the AK corner. Uh, yep. 
Jared. And Jared may be on our next one where we're talking sniper rifles. So hopefully we can work that out. How about an AK bayonet? Here's the here's the bayonet question. I'd love to see something really unique, maybe even using a surplus bayonet bayonet as a as a base. Yeah, um, here's my thing, and I know it's I know it's a little different now because you have companies like Desert Fox Outfitters and uh, Rifle Dynamics that are making higher end AKs, but you know, up until not too long ago, the AK was, and I I love the AK. I've carried the AK all over the world. It's a great weapon. It's one of my favorites, but it's always kind of been the poor man's rifle right? 400 bucks gets me into an AK. And if I'm going to make a bayonet for an AK, I can't make an $80 bayonet. So the, the bayonet's probably going to cost closer to what the AK costs. Not anymore. So I've never, Have you no, seen, I, I seen AKs these but, days? <laughs> I know, but that, but that's what I was saying is like back in the day, there was really not, there wasn't a, a big market for it. Sure. So like up until recently with the, with the price of, of some of these mods and stuff on the AKs, uh, I've never really had any interest in doing it. I have several AK-47 bayonets. Uh, I guess. Come on, know, Jared, you can improve upon I, the I AK guess it could bayonet. Be done it, it, if, especially if the guy, you know, come I, on, I, Lance. I would, Jared, I would, Jared, <laughs> Jared. I think Pacific well, Northwesterner should commission you to make an AK. Bayonet. Here's the only problem, though, is if I make one, I'm probably going to want to keep it for myself and <laughs> sell it. So. Make two. <laughs> uh, I would have to use the handle and everything of an AK uh, band of a traditional AK bayonet, but who knows? It's 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 possible. I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to doing one. Yeah, I mean, just a bayonet, AR and AK. Just I think. Yeah, I think it'd be cool to see you make a, a bayonet. I think it'd be sweet. All right, I'll uh, see what I can do. <laughs> I think we we guilted him into it. Yeah, no kidding. Pew Pew RN ask, uh, what blade steels do you like best? I think you've answered that, but just recap that. Yeah, I I, I personally like for high carbon with, with staying in the in the moderate high carbon uh, price range and what you get from it. I think ADCRV two is one of the best steels uh, for that. Um, and then for the stainless, I think it's one of the most underrated steels out there, but AEBL is really, really good stainless steel. Um, you don't have to go into the higher end stuff to get good performance out of the stainless steel from AEBL. Jerry Black, what is your go-to EDC knife? What knife is on you right now? Um, I've got several knives on me right now, <laughs> but the one that I had on me is my... This is my Mo Stabby. M-O? Mo? M-O, yeah. It's, it's named after my friend uh, or another friend. Yeah, we kind of uh, got that. <laughs> you name them all after your yeah. friends. Maybe we'll have a lefty knife one day. Yeah, hey. Maybe we'll be friends. A, a, a TL? TL Stabby? TL, yeah. Um, yeah, so the Mo. Mo's a good, good everyday carry knife. I like that. Is that a, um, what kind of sheath? Talk about your sheaths, because I don't think we've talked about your sheaths yet. Yeah, so my sheaths are are pretty pretty standard Kydex uh, sheath. The only thing that I kind of do different from from most people 
or at least from what I've seen, is from day one. I don't know if I can see it from here. Uh, you probably cannot because of the, the lighting, but I, I do a, a felt lining on the inside. So the, the Kydex generally mars up knives and gets it to where you have this big rattle in, a, in, the, in the Kydex. And so by putting that felt line on the inside, it gives it a really nice snug fit, but it, it, keeps, it keeps it nice and secure. How do you adhere well. that the, to the Kydex? What's that? How do you adhere the felt to the um, I actually buy felt that has a sticky, a sticky back on it. And when I, then what I do is I, I, I pancake fold or I fold over the Kydex with the felt already on it. And, and then I secure it and clamp it and it's, it's worked real good. Um, blade tech, the blade tech hardware, uh, American made for the belt and you retention. Can, yeah. You can actually take these screws out, turn the whole bracket sideways so you can run it horizontal or vertical or left-handed. Diagonal. Yeah. All that. Uh, yeah. Nice. Hey, Leadheads. White Settle with Seal One. Just here to talk to you and tell you a little bit about our product. Seal One CLP Plus is a bio-based, non-toxic product. It comes in a paste, liquid, aerosol, and pre-saturated bore-specific patches called Seal Skins. They all do the same thing, just different methods of application. The best way to use our product is to start with a clean firearm. And there's two reasons why I say that. First, you start with the Seal One CLP Plus by field stripping your firearm and covering the entire firearm inside and out, bore, barrel, everything with the Seal One CLP Plus. You'll see how easy it spreads around. You want to wait about 15 to 20 minutes, then you come back and you want to wipe it all off. So you see how easy it is to put on and remove. And the second reason we say to use a clean firearm is you'll find that it's not clean. We're gonna pull out more carbon that's been left behind with whatever product you've been using before. Okay, it takes about three cleanings. So I like to say a clean shoot, clean shoot, clean shoot, just normal usage before the Seal One CLP Plus has removed whatever product that you were using before and has seasoned the firearm. It's kind of like breaking in a cast iron skillet. And after that first cleaning, you will notice a difference. And with each successive cleaning, you will find that it gets easier and easier to clean. Seal One CLP Plus is a dry lubricant and is designed to work as such. You will find that malfunctions are virtually eliminated when used properly because the majority of all malfunctions are caused to carbon buildup. And with the Seal One CLP Plus, the carbon does not build up. Seal One CLP Plus is safe on all metals, plastics, composites, polymers, rubber, wood, and leather. Seal One CLP Plus is a one and done formulation. No other products are required or needed to clean and lubricate and protect your firearm. That's why we say Seal One and done. Seal One is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. Use the code LEADHEAD for a 25% off discount. Um, okay, so that was the EDC. He wasn't asking me, so I've got a I've got a buck is my EDC. Nothing wrong with that. And it just depends on what day it is on which buck I have. And I don't even know what they call it. I don't know names of knives. I just I'm not a I'm not super knowledgeable about every model, especially with Buck and Spiderco and all these there's so many models. Yeah. Uh let's see. Did I ask this one? Can we get a materialist like what material what metals you use and what grips are yes. made? Okay. In the 
Uh, Ryan Reisner, what were you doing before you started? I think I asked that one. Too. I was homeless. You always into pocket knives, blade. Okay, yeah, let's scan down. Favorite blade from video games, movies, books, or any other media? Bailey Muller, eighty. Mine is the Conan the Barbarian sword um, that his father had. I'm gonna have to go with. I'm gonna have to go with that big ass machete thing that Billy had in Predator. Standing on the log ah. and he cut himself across the chest. I think that was just a cool, a cool knife. What, was that a that kukri? Was. was that a kukri that he? No, nah, it was like it a, was a big buoy. It was like a big buoy machete or or something. But uh, I always thought that was a cool looking knife. I got to pull that. I, I thought up. it was like two. It was like a two tone. It looked like the center was like black and the outer side was like gray. Uh, I'm gonna pull it up. Let's see. That's the one Arnold had. Yeah, I think his name was Billy. Yeah, the Indian dude. Yeah. The guy that, that said Billy. we fired we fired two hundred rounds out of the minigun and didn't hit anything. And they're they're expert trackers, but they can't see fluorescent green blood all over the leaves that the, the right. native chicks saw. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Uh picture. Well, share my screen. Okay. Because I love I love pop culture and, and movies and, and media. So I like I like when we can integrate it into the show. Yeah. That's a great question. It says, influence from the movie Predator. This is on YouTube. Some company. Uh, they do. They got some big promo. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So this is the one this company has made. Let's see if they got a picture of it. Movie. I know exactly. That scene right there. Yeah. Yep. See it right yep. there? Yep. That's the one you're talking about right there, right? That's exactly what I was talking about. Yep. Yeah. I bet we could actually... We could probably find out exactly who made that for the movie. Yeah, um, that doesn't look exactly like it was close. That's the they have. I mean, it, the it didn't. It obviously didn't work very well for Billy. <laughs> he just he just kind of gave up though. You know, I didn't like the way that yeah, they for, sent him out. He's for, they they should have did like a, a freaking mano a mano with him. You, you know, for a guy that was like super quiet, he sure did scream real bad when he got killed. Yeah, he screamed like a bitch. I didn't like that either. Yeah. He wouldn't yeah. have screamed. Billy would not have screamed. No, no, definitely not. Yeah, they need to they need to go back and retcon that. <laughs> yeah. So, good question. I like that question. That gets that was, um, that was a good one. Bailey Muller asked that. Uh, T Hayden, what is Jared's favorite blade profile, and has he ever attempted multi layer Damascus? And if so, what was the layer count? Thanks again for the great show, and looking forward to hearing this episode. T Hayden. Okay. That is a good question. A couple of good. Yes, I have done multi-layered Damascus. Um, I think the most I've ever done is like 120 layers. So not a whole lot compared to uh, a lot of other people. My favorite blade profile. That's a tough one uh, because they're all named after friends and family. So if I say one, then everybody else is going to be upset with me. <laughs> uh, but I tend to like. Hey, you like what you like. Okay. I like I like a Tonto type blade for the most part. That's my favorite profile. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can go wrong with that. I like Tontos. Um, oh, Tennessean. What is the proper strength uh, test for knives? What materials are best when deciding the purpose of the blade, such as cutting versus carving or stabbing? I think you kind of touched on that. Yeah. Already. Um, yep. What about the proper strength for testing knives? Once again, it would depend on the size of the knife, the thickness of the knife. I mean, I, I try to get all those 
kind of you know synonymous for with with what it it's most applicable to as far as like if it's a thicker knife you know i need to make sure that the heat treat maybe it soaks a little bit longer the longer knife uh i don't want it as brittle you know i may want it to be a little bit less rockwell hardness so that it has a little bit more flex in it nikolai abplanap what do you feel makes your blade stand out against other makers also, how long did it take you to get the hang of compound grinds? Um, the, the biggest compliment that I get at the very few knife shows that I've gone to, uh, but it seems to be the most re repetitive comment, is that my knives look so much different from most of the other knives on the tables. They They say... Hey, you know, I walk by and it just kind of seems like I'm looking at the same knives at a lot of these tables. Your knives have a little bit different definitive look uh, and, and stuff to that. To me, that's like the biggest compliment, because if I can make my knives look different than everybody else's, or at least in some ways where if I can establish that that look mm -hmm. with them still being functional and and everything, uh you know, I'm not doing anything magical. I promise you that. Uh, I'm just, just trying to do what I, what kind of fits my style and taste. And uh, I think we're getting into an. I think there's another question that will kind of get into this question a little bit more. So I'll I'll wait for you to ask me that question. Okay. I think it'll go right into it. Okay. Um, P man, three hundred one. What prolific knife makers have inspired your style the most? Okay, there we go. That's that's the question I was looking for because I knew that question was on there. Um, so going back to Mick Strider, Mick Strider does some really crazy cool grinds and just beautiful artistic looks to his stuff. And I didn't, I don't want to be like, you know. Oh, I don't, I didn't want to make it look like I'm just copying mixed grinds or, or anything like that. And I try to stay as away from that as much as I can, but I love the style of grinds that Nick, uh, excuse me, that Mick has on his and Dwayne is the opposite. Dwayne Dwyer, who, who was with, with Mick, Dwayne doesn't like differential grinds. Mick likes differential grinds. So it's like, it's, it's cool to get both of their opinions and their own style on that type of stuff. And, uh, but I definitely got my differential grind, uh, stuff from, from looking at mix work. Okay. And, um, PPRN asks basically the same question is where do you draw your inspiration for your blade shapes? Maybe a little different type question, but when yeah, you, you got you know, your different I, shapes, where do you, where do you get your inspiration for those? I just try to like, I, I won't like going back to the, okay. So like my, my CS stabby, which is a Tonto. Okay. Mine is different from a lot of Tontos because of this basic bolster that I have. It's, it's a grind here. It's a grind here. Now when you're saying here, tell our listeners. Here. What's that? Go back through. And when you say here uh, for our, our audio listeners, Sorry, tell them right here on, on my cutting edge bevel. This is one grind. 
And then on my bolster bevel, this is a separate grind. And then up here on my Tonto tip is a separate grind. So there's three separate grinds here. Okay. But this bolster piece in the center here is thick. Right. Okay. So this is part of my initial wound channel if I was to stab somebody. So with it being a little bit thicker, my initial wound channel stays pretty big, especially for a small knife. It gives it a distinct look as well, but this is just, I, I like blades. Would you that say have, that that's your trademark? I, I could, yeah, I would say that because my, my MD stabbies are the same concept. Yeah. You know, I have, a, I keep the initial wound channel trying to keep it as thick as I can without it being to the point where it won't, uh, you know, penetrate. I mean, a knife is like a gunshot. The, the For the most part, to incapacitate something with a gunshot, you need shot placement and penetration. If you don't have those, you're not going to get basic in incapacitation for the most part. A knife is the same thing. The thing that I hate the most that people say is when they pick up a knife and go, oh, this is a good slasher. I don't want my knife to be a good slasher. I want my knife to be a good stabber because if you slashed me across my chest as hard as you can, I'm probably not going to die. If I stab you in the chest, you're probably going to die. So slashy stuff, I don't really care for. That's why they're called stabbies and not slashies, <laughs> I guess. I like that. That's good. Um, uh, tongue for twisting. What's the longest blade you've ever made? Probably... It was probably like two feet long. Not 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 super crazy. What was it? It was a uh, World War II Marine Raider buoy oh. that I made for a reconnaissance Marine buddy of mine. Cool. So you never you never stepped into the the sword making. You haven't made a sword. No, I have not. Haven't done a sword yet. Is that something yeah, that you want to do? Do you aspire to make a sword? Just, just to, no. For shits and giggles. I mean, maybe one day when I'm making an AK bayonet, I'll go. Shit, I need to make a sword too. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mustang Perry, what is uh, your opinion on what makes a good fighting knife? Also, what is your personal favorite blade shape and why? Have I asked that one already? You didn't. I, so, what to me, what makes a fighting knife is something that is going to be probably have about a, at least a good four inch, five inch cutting edge blade and a blade that's able to, to penetrate, uh, you know, and still hold up against, you know, any hard materials and stuff. And uh, length goes into that as well. There's a certain length and all that. that you yeah. I mean, Anything, anything over seven inches is probably considered a fighting knife to me. But I mean, really, you you don't need a lot of blade to have effective effective strikes with a knife. I think I I think I got them all. Um, some people ask a couple of questions. Uh, yeah, I think I got them all. Nice. Those are some good questions. Yeah, and thank you, Leadheads, for taking part. Appreciate all the comments there. And let's pick a winner. Let's pick a winner for the the. Um, the Chevy. Have you got it there? Have you got the one that we're going to be giving away? I, I have a couple. What I'll do is, so basically, it's uh, it's it's essentially going to be uh, one of these. Okay. But they can, 
uh, I'll give them the option. Uh, I, I if they email whoever wins it, I'll I'll let them know what colors I have uh, okay, for, for the, the handle. Grip. Nice. Yeah, and then they can they can pick. That's the, awful uh, color nice of you to do that. Yeah. Have you got talking lead green? <laughs> Talk, I do. Yeah, I have talking, talking lead, lead green, green in, in stock. Yeah. Very good. All right. So I guess how we should do this is just go through and what was your, what was your favorite question? Um, I kind of liked the movie question about the, the, uh, my favorite movie knife. I like that one too. That was a good one. Um, that was, let's see. I mean, there were there were some real, they were all good questions. No, but, very good questions. But I did I did enjoy taking the trip back to Predator and Billy. That was yeah, yeah. Hadn't thought about Billy in a while. Uh, yeah. Bailey Bailey Muller eighty favorite blade from video games, movies, books, or any other form of media. Um, let's let's kind of deep dive in that a little bit more too. So um, okay, uh, some other iconic movie blades that you can think of. Other than Rambo, I mean, that's like one of the, the most. Yeah. No, uh, you know, I, so there's a couple things with me as a, as a, as a young man growing up, I remember, so I do, I set mine up mainly for horizontal carry. Mm -hmm. Okay. My stabbies. And the reason I did that is there's a scene in Red Dawn that always stuck with me, yes. right? The original, the only Red Dawn, as far as I'm yes. concerned, that stuck with me. And it was when that, that like T-72 tank was at, at the gas station and the girl was there on her bike and they put the bat, they took the basket from her and the basket yeah. had a grenade in it. And, he, and the commander, he like, he drew out this knife horizontal. And I was like, I don't know why that always stuck with me. I just thought it looked so cool because it like came out sideways. It, it didn't come out like vertically. Yeah. It didn't take so, it from the hip. It was. Yeah. I never really saw the knife. I just thought that that technique was, was, uh, was super, you know, super cool. I'm going to, I'm going to watch red Dawn tonight and, and pause it on that. Yeah. And see, see if I can. Okay. Get it. Yeah. L let me know. Cause, cause yeah. that'll make, I'll, I'll definitely make that knife. Oh, that would be um, cool. Red Dawn. Yeah, that's a good pull. Right that's a very obscure pull. I like that. Especially for, but, you know, but for big Red 80s? Dawn fans like most of our my listeners are. Um Yeah. I even did a yeah, uh, an AK mag. Um I'll show it to you when you get off, remind me. I did a a, okay. a batch of AK mags uh -huh. that had the Red Dawn Wolverine logo on it and uh Calumet yeah. High School class of 84 on Hell there. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. other movies i mean again the conan sword is is the one that always you know yeah. always, always lust after the the conan the barbarian sword and then of course the rambo knife but um i mean there's a lot of movies that have knives you just don't i don't think about uh, much about them as i do the firearms and the guns because i'm always noticing those more i guess than i am the knives but well i think i think uh jack carr's um uh, terminal list. His his terminal list definitely put the Winkler axe. Uh, yeah, if we go axes, oh yeah, no doubt about it. Jack Carr put that on the map. Yeah, that that was that was 
that was really cool because you know you saw the axes up on the wall in the background way before he ever pulled them out in different scenes and you knew you knew something was going to go down with those axes oh yeah yeah well if you you read his you read his books or jack carr's logo are those axes yeah exactly that's his exactly that's kind of his logo anyway that, that was an awesome awesome addition yeah uh you know to that so yeah i mean there's a, a million movies with a million cool freaking blade scenes and i think um one of the i, I think one i of the really like the scenes- did you watch the terminal list yeah so I, I really liked it when um the guy that actually killed his wife and kid you know he took care of him with that yeah. with that axe and yeah gutted him and then you knew you knew that was pinned coming. his guts up on the the pole <laughs> that was great. I, I still think one of the biggest, one of the coolest sword fight scenes was in um, the Highlander when uh, when they're fighting and every time they hit swords, the sparks would uh, the sparks would go off. You know, for yeah. like an early '80s movie fight scene. That I guess they said they put like batteries and battery cables that they connected to the swords so that when they hit, they had real sparks and they stuff. Now, I thought that was cool. again That's Hollywood. Cool. You know Hollywood magic. When swords hit, they they don't do that in real life, right? Right. right. One usually breaks. Yeah. You know, unless somebody was using a you know fire starter flint on one end and the other guy was. <laughs> yeah. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Uh, that's funny. Uh, but uh, yeah, man. Uh, there's there's probably tons of movies. So that'd be a good question for you, leadheads. What's your favorite? movie bladed weapon i guess um send that to me email me talking at gmail.com and i'll read that on the next of uh, i don't know what series i should call this from the sheath or you know talking blades i don't know <laughs> i need i need a suggestion on on what to call yeah. a new knife series but our our next knife episode we'll uh we'll read those that'll be fun nice so Bailey Muller, email me, talkingletgmail.com. You're the winner of the Chevy. And um, I'll put you in touch with Jared, and he'll let you know what colors that you can choose from for your for your handle. That's pretty cool. Appreciate you doing that, Jared. That's awesome. Oh, my pleasure. And then for our Mission First Tactical dump tray, Mission First Tactical makes these awesome Kydex dump trays, uh, Jared. So, you know, they make holsters and yeah, things like that. So sure. with the extra Kydex that they've got, they make these cool dump trays that I use for my, my gun trays, my gun cleaning trays, gunsmithing trays. So when I'm working on my guns, I use like these trays. It. I'll send you one of those. I'll send you a tray. That um, is awesome. Who do, you, who do you want to have that one? What was your second, second um, favorite question? I think the question with actually this will be the seal one. We're going to give the seal one away for this. I think the first question was a really good question. I'm just trying. I remember the first one being the very first question. That's Boba seventeen seventy six. Now, what do you feel is more important in blade geometry? The type of point, the type of grind, or thickness? Is that the one? What grind do you prefer? Thanks, and those blades fall into the badass category. Yeah, I think it is that one. Was that the second? 
Was that the first one or the second one? That was the very first question. Yeah, the, the first one, because I, I didn't get a chance to answer it completely oh. just because of the variables uh, in that. But I think that, that that's a good question because that's definitely something you have that we have to think about when we're making a knife is, okay, if it's a skinner, I need this. If it's a fighter, I need this. And so it all kind of correlates to whatever your exact build is going to be. So, yeah. There you go. Let's give them that one. So, Bobus, email me, talkinglightgmail.com, and I'll let you pick whether you want the tray or you want the seal one. So, tell me which one of those you want. Um, and then for our third, you'll get whatever Bobus doesn't want, the tray or the uh, the seal one, which I'm sure he's going to – he'll choose that seal one. That's awesome stuff. I'm going to go outside of our, our uh, questions – and I'm going to go okay. to Rumble because I want people to subscribe to us on Rumble now. And I believe I can pull up who has subscribed to us on Rumble somehow. Some yes, I can. So I'm going to go to the very first person who started following us on Rumble. Our very first Rumble follower. And going down, make sure these are, yeah, these are people who followed. Mustang Perry. You were my very first Rumble follower, and you I know that you are a long-time listener to the show, too. So I know that you are definitely a listener to this show. So email me, talkingletgmail.com, and um, whichever prize that uh, Bobus doesn't pick, that's the one that you're going to get. Um, but I'm just going through here looking. Uh, Jay Black, Jerry Black, you were the second one. You were the second follower. Sob Link, SOB Link was the third. Chamber Defense was the fourth. Forty-seven Cav. So I'm just going up through here, and we've uh, we've only got like twenty followers or thirty followers on Rumble right now. Let me see, twenty-seven followers on Rumble. But you got to start. But I want to get all you listeners over there now. So I want to have thousands of followers on Rumble. Um, and like I said, the more we get the more I'm going to start posting over there. And they have the ability to do live there too. And I promise you guys that Ton and I are going to do a live, our first Rumble live. We're going to test it out. We're going to try it um, coming up. So stay tuned for that. Hopefully next week I'll be able to get Ton. I know he's been out doing some competitions and stuff. Um, but there you go. There's our winners. Appreciate everybody nice. taking part. Congrats. Um, and all your, your questions there. I know Jared appreciates it too. Make sure you go and give him a follow on the social meds, like his pages, and more importantly, go and buy his knives. Uh, go to his website. You can see what he's got available there. And then I guess if you've got like a request or something that you want, they can email you. Yes. I know you said you don't want to get into custom, uh, knife making, but, um, he might well, be able to do something. I, I mean it. I'm in it. So it, it, you know, it's, it's gotta have, I, I don't, I usually just don't allow myself to get too deep on the, on the orders as far as like, right. I don't want to be a hundred. You limit back ordered. It's like, here's your options, yeah. pick these. And then yeah, you get one of these. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. and then of course, give your website again. Uh, www.stablades.com. And then on Instagram, he's at STA underscore blades. You can follow him on Instagram and then Facebook is, is it just STA Blades? 
anyway, yeah, SDA blades, you guys can find it there. I'll put links in the show notes so you can go and you can link from the show okay. notes um, as well. Lead heads. Um, but make sure you go and sponsor those or sponsor those. Support those that sponsor the show. Mission First Tactical. Use the code Leadhead. Get 20% off. Seal1.com. Use the code Leadhead. That's usually our code is Leadhead to get the discount codes. 25% off at Seal1.com. It's Leadhead. Keltec Weapons. It's... Um, it's Leadhead. Get fifteen percent off there. Kraken cases. I was uh, I was telling you about those cases yesterday, Jared. Yeah. And that's going to awesome. be. Oh, by the way, we got we got to say that we've added a new prize to our big giveaway that we're going to be doing coming up, celebrating the launch of our new logo, and it happens to involve Jared and STA blades. So. Yes, sir. Uh, have you decided which blade you're going to put up for that yet? Um, I, I would like one I of have, those, those, uh, that big stabby thingy that you, that you were showing earlier. I don't know if you can give one of those or not, but those are awesome. I can't remember what's called. Hold up, hold up your knives there and I'll tell you, hold them up. Well, I don't, I got about, I got about a dozen of them. Well, hold them up. We like the, knife porn here. The, Just hold the, them up. <laughs> we the, want to uh, see them. The snatch it. The snatch it. Yes. That's the it. Snatch it. Yes. Let me see if I can get some done on that. That. That that one takes a, that one takes me a while because it's a, a four edged uh, blade. But I'll see what, how fast I can get one out. It's got four edges. Yeah, because it's a, it's a dagger. Oh, I thought it just had two. Cutting edge. So I have bevel here, bevel there, and then on the other side. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not tying you but into yeah, it. What did you have in mind? I'll see, I'll see what I can do. I have. Well, I had two. I had two different. Um, one of those fighters would be awesome too. I have, I've got, if I, if I have any fighter, I usually don't have fighters in stock. Um, I've got a couple of, uh, MD stabbies. I've MD got stabbies a couple of mows. I've got a couple, uh, I'll see what I see what I can put together. What's a mow? Which one's the mow? Oh yeah. That was the, the one that you carry most, the, most of the time you showed that. Yeah, one. The, yeah. The mow is this blade shape right here. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. That'd be an awesome one too. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah, like the mo's been pretty popular. Anyway, yeah. once so we we'll decide that leadhead, you're gonna you're we're gonna release all this info. Like I said, I'm going down to Keltec, and we're gonna get all this worked out, and we're gonna have this awesome big prize. One person's gonna win it all. One person will win Dang. everything. It's gonna be huge. Wow. It's gonna be huge. You're gonna love it. Huge. I promise. Huge. <laughs> Uh, lockdown, go to lockdown. Uh, this awesome wall you see that it's got all my guns hanging. Uh, that's from lockdown. That's their secure walls and they are customizable. So they will fit any size wall in your house, in your safe, in your office, wherever you'd like to display your guns. Uh, lockdown, go to lockdown.com leadhead 15% off there. Uh, and then of course our newest sponsors be prepared Go to fourpatriots.com. Uh, their survival food is tasty. It's nutritious. It's got a 25-year shelf life. So uh, it's going to be around longer probably than you are. Uh, but it probably won't last that long because you're going to want to eat it. It's so tasty. So if you're a, a hiker, a camper, and uh, you want to, to pack light and have good, tasty, nutritious food, uh, fourpatriots.com. Is where you want to go. Use the code LEADHEAD 
and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. So as they see that you guys are using this, they will probably extend that, uh, maybe make a better discount, and maybe make it where you can use it more than once. But go use it once so they know you're using it uh, to let them know, and uh, we'll get them back as sponsors. So, fourpatriots.com. Jared, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on. Look forward to uh, well, getting you on. Hopefully, we get you on the AK Corner this month for the sniper, yeah. the sniper um, uh, episode that we're going to do, talking about the SVDs and the the different types of com block sniper rifles. Nice. Jared All was right. a sniper. Uh, he did some. I don't think we talked about your your piracy. Uh, anti-piracy days <laughs> either did we no we'll talk no, about that on the the, the AK yeah that'll, corner. that'll be a good conversation for for that podcast for sure yeah that'll be fun and then uh, jared has introduced me to his friend greg which uh, hopefully we can work it out and get greg on the next knife segment that we're gonna do maybe uh, maybe we'll have a name for it by then too i like from the sheet yeah, right? i don't know but you gotta call him you gotta call him jared I'll call him Jared, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. Payback. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but until then, Leadheads, as always, keep your loved ones close. And your firearms closer. And your blades at the ready. And sharp. And, and clean. Sharp. And clean with Seal One. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>